are back uh, right. using, using using a little bit of a new Zencaster interface here so uh, um, I hope it's gonna work out the same Zencaster keeps improving all their gear so we're uh, we're, uh, we're, we're we're a little 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 bit of beta testing here but uh, Tim you were in Vegas yeah we were in Vegas did a little bit of shooting uh, you know and they're not gonna do any name dropping right now but uh, a kid that's making a movie I'm gonna help him produce it and you know uh, I, I, I it's really interesting to, to, to get that other side of the business sort of rolling along, as you know, yeah. uh, as, as we have all these projects that we're working on. Uh, and, um, you know, I, it, it's, I, it's something about that feels right about now. And I particularly like helping young people. You know, I, I say kids, you know, 30, 35. I have no idea what Trevor <laughs> is. Uh, but, he's, but, he's, but he's half as old as me. Uh, you know, bring things over the finish line. And um, so that's one of the projects we were working on. Very, very cool. You know, it's funny as we get started on the show. Because <laughs> like a second ago, right before we started, you go, "Oh, we got Poltergeist, and we got Fright Night, and we got Mortal Kombat." And I had to say, uh, "Is that the old Poltergeist or the new Poltergeist?" Just really, <laughs> is that the old Mortal Kombat, the new Port- uh, Mortal Kombat. It's the old Fright Night or the new. <laughs> it's ridiculous, dude. Yeah. What the hell is why? Why won't these people leave our movies alone? Make uh, your yeah. own damn movies, people. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it is so fr- and i hear this from so many people too uh and there is i wish i were a little bit more liberty to say this but but there's a there there's a situation at a certain company uh with respect to a television series i'm talking to this producer who says yeah i you know got these got these two great these two great pitches these two great you know ideas and ip and scripts um it's just that they won't consider it because they're presently mulling a reboot of mm, with mm. <laughs> and if that goes south well then we're and it's like so so in other words you've got these two really great original series mm. that have this particularly cool theme and approach to subject matter but they'd rather hold off on those because there's a reboot of a show that's already run its course twice Mm-hmm. on television mm-hmm. twice they already rebooted it once before so they're considering a, a second reboot before they want to take a risk on the original material I it's just, so depressing it's 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 i don't know whatever and and i won't pretend like you know sometimes i don't enjoy some of the reboots occasionally i do yeah uh, particularly if they, particularly if they conceive it for a different medium like um, um that uh, that wednesday adams uh, uh, uh oh the way the went yes 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 with TV. christina ricci yeah, with Chris, but you know, Christina's in it with, with, with the little girl on Wednesday, and it's, and it's, and it's you, know, like, you know, the Adams family because he did the was it Rob Zombie? No, Rob did the Munsters. We're going to talk about that today. Oh, we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, and in the Adams family has been done many, many, many years, all this kind of stuff. But and so I see all oh, another one. But I'm like, oh, Wednesday. It's about Wednesday. But but let's talk about the TV series of Velma. Uh, like really, Velma? <laughs> I mean, of all the Scoobies, <laughs> like, like, and and they're they're out doing rep press things like, well, you know, this is for grownups because you know we don't have Scooby Doo, and if Scooby Doo were in it, it'd be for kids. It's like, dude, Scooby Doo, it was the whole point. There was nobody, <laughs> nobody at any point said, oh, but if we take Scooby Doo out, we could have. Would you have a show about Daphne? 
Like, would Daphne support her own show? No, you know, at least Daphne was hot. Velma yeah. wasn't even the hot one. I hate to be that guy, but if we're going to do this, that's not I mean, the right one. It, like, I mean, to, like the analogy to me is, you know what? If we take Yogi and Boo Boo out of the equation, <laughs> we could have this really great grown-up show about Mr. Ranger, sir. Yeah, about I, think that, I think that would fly. Nobody's going to watch no, that. Nobody's going to watch that. Like, what, what is the thinking here? I, I, it's like they're so afraid of original material that they are going to these outrageous extremes to justify doing, uh, you know, f- just tangential characters from anything. It doesn't oh, yeah. make sense to me. Oh, yeah. Look, uh, and, and I get it. You know, um, um, it's it, there's a certain safety in that, uh, you know, built-in audience to a certain degree. But you also get the thing that you and I are talking about uh, right now, uh, the uh, sort of out-of-the-box rejection of yeah. the sort of rehashing and rehashing and rehashing, e- even as we are about to talk about a bunch of movies. <laughs> but, we, yeah. we, but we mostly got the originals, right? Mostly the originals, yeah. I mean, let's start off with, uh, I mean, we're, you know, this is effectively, so we're going to point out, because it's been hard to really stay on, on schedule. So this is, uh, you know, we're October 11th. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get another show uh, in a timely fashion under our belts before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the week of Kolkoa, uh, which is now the City of Light, City of Angels, festival which is um now called the los angeles french film festival yeah that's that's an interesting story yeah cocoa sounded too much like coca-cola to some people so we'll leave it at that let those people step forward if they want but (laughs) uh so this is this is effectively our halloween show we're going to be covering all the uh halloweeny stuff one of which is this 25th anniversary uh um steelbook 4k release of scream 2 Mm -hmm. now um when this came, I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, sweet scream!" Oh, two, <laughs> right? You know? Which and is still 1997, by the way. <laughs> exactly, 25 years ago. Just want to point but, that out. But, but, like, here's the thing. Tell me, tell me if you feel the same way. Uh, if somebody says "scream," I'd be like, "Oh, I totally remember scream." You know, Courtney Cox, the, this and that, and, that. Yeah. and 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 I look at Scream Two, and the first thought in my head was. What was that about? <laughs> the the the, uh, the 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 thing that I remember about Scream Two, the thing about Scream, you had that great opening sequence with uh, uh, Drew Drew yeah. Drew Drew Barrymore and, and all yeah. that, and Scream Two equivalent with Jada Pinkett. Yeah, I, I think, and then I'm and then and then the movie's out of my head, uh, as are all of the rest of the screams, because uh, there were several more after that, and of course there's the Scream reboot. I think. Dude, he, no? he, yes, I'll give yes. you, yeah, the Scream reboot for, for sure really messed up my head. But here, here's the funny thing. I had a similar experience with this and then watching The Keep on Criterion Channel just a few oh, days ago. Yes. And I emailed you I emailed you and Tim and Ray about that. You know, like, first of all, it's a terrible print. But I don't think Paramount has a decent print. It's sort of like the last one that came from a fourth-run theater somewhere, and they just film-chained it with scratches and all at the front. It's terrible. But, you know, The Keep, I still don't understand. I don't know where the monster guy comes from. I don't know why Scott Glenn has, you know, why he glows blue and people shoot him. None of that makes sense to me. I have no idea what why anything happens in that movie. Yeah. But I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all. Oh my gosh, Scott Glenn. I forgot he was in this movie. Gabriel Byrne plays the yeah. Nazi. I forgot Gabriel Byrne was in this movie. Um, oh, Ian. Uh, you know, and, and you're and Ian McKellen, a young yeah. Ian McKellen. Yeah. I didn't know, I'd for, I didn't know Ian McKellen when I saw the movie the first time, and I didn't know what he looked like when he was young. And it's weird. I feel like he should be old. I mean, it's very weird watching these movies that you haven't seen in a long time where they cast now you know them all. 
Yeah. But you didn't at the time. It's yeah, very Jared strange. Now and now. Yeah. So it's the whole oh. thing there. It's a whole uh, thing, and 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 Scream too. I'm you know I'm looking at this, and it's not just you know Courtney Cox and David Arquette and and uh, and, and uh, Nev Campbell. You know, fair enough. But looking at it, and I'm like, oh, Liev Schreiber, Heather Graham, oh, Jada Pinkett, oh, oh Jerry God. O'Connell, <laughs> oh, Jamie Kennedy, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, and we have that movie. Liev Schreiber's in the movie. You know, like you you you, you, you sort you sort of go, oh. We've all, I, I don't think I remembered that all these people were in this movie at the same time. And some of them were wonderful victims. <laughs> they got, it's very they got true. taken out. <laughs> they got yeah. taken out. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, how do we feel about Scream 2? Has it aged well? Well, you look, you know, when, you, when we think about um, uh, that, that whole run of Scream movies, Scream 2 is the second best one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't laugh at my own jokes. It's terrible. I'm so bad. It's so embarrassing. But but uh, but you know, um, I, I literally, I, I West directed uh, this movie. And, yes. And, 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 I, and I and I will say this about it: those two movies have the the imprimatur, the stamp, the, the design of West Craven. Uh, and then after that, they start doing all kinds of wacky stuff. But these movies look and feel like Wes Craven movies. And 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 and, and I don't remember a whole lot about this one. Uh, it's just sort of. It, I do like that. It, it's sort of like like the Halloween films. It just picks up where the other one left off, yeah. uh, and, and 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 we just roll on and do it again. And they kind of lose the thread after that. The twenty twenty two scream, uh, even though Courtney's in it and all that kind of stuff, didn't really need that. Um, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna have the screen movies, it's the first one and this one that you need to have. Yeah, and 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 Kevin Williamson, I'll give him some credit too. I mean, these are these are very smart scripts in the sense that he understands that he has to sort of be the genre and riff on the genre at the same time. And that's a tricky balancing act. You know, these movies come in at a moment where everybody is already a little bit cynical about this. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so he understands people want to both get the scares, but laugh at the scares at the same time. And he's able to find that sweet spot. And Wes, of course, is able to direct it that way. So yeah. it's a great tandem. I think scream too. I agree with you. It's the second best. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Again, I'll drop a few more. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is in this yeah. movie. Joshua yeah. Jackson is in this movie. Timothy Oliphant is in this movie. Jerry O'Connell is, is in this movie. Lori Metcalf is in this movie. I know. Uh, Portia de Rossi is in this movie. <laughs> it's just, you it, know, you just go down the thing. It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. No, it really is. Um, great commentary by the late Wes Craven with uh, his uh, editor and producer. And um, the the other extras are all on the uh, on the Blu-ray disc, but it's fine. It's, it you know, as a 4K, I'm... I'm not going to say you got to bone up your 4K collection with it. It's not a must have, but for fans, you know, it is, it is a nice upgrade. Uh, another steel book, Fright Night. Oh my goodness. Like I hated the, this the, movie. The 19, the 1985. Uh, yep. That's one? it. The original okay. Tom Holland, the original Tom Holland Fright Night, which I hated at the time. And I still hate, I, I don't like this movie, but I understand. I will be fair. I understand why people like it. Uh, I, I totally get it. It's, it's of the moment. It's very much of the genre in that moment. Um, Roddy McDowell, you know, is, he brings, he brings a certain cred to it that, uh, that elevates it just a little bit. Um, tons of extras on this thing. So forget about, you know, me being, being, uh, a, a dork. The, uh, they've got a, um, I mean, I can't even get into it. It's, it's, it, you know, Brian Fuller, uh, talking with Amanda Bierce, the, the queer lens. Oh, There's, yeah. uh, an anniversary script read, 35th anniversary script read. Not very interesting, but I guess if, you know, you, you're a, re- you're a big fan. 
um, audio commentary with Tom Holland and his actors, an audio commentary with Tom Holland and the actors and the FX artists. Uh, you know, this is Roddy McDowell featurette on here, just a ton of stuff. But ultimately, you know, does it, the question is, it's a, it's a steel book. Does it justify 4K? I think only if you're just mad about this movie. Mm. I, and, I, I, I don't find it very scary. I've never found it very scary. Well, it's, 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 it's mostly funny. Uh, practical effects, though. I love the yeah. practical effects. We're still there. They, they remade this one, too, of course, uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of four or five years ago with Anton Yelchin. Uh, that's a much darker movie, uh, bloodier movie. Did not see it. Did not uh, see it. I, did, I saw that back in the day. Darker, bloodier, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and mostly uh, uh, CGI. So, you know, between the two, this is the one I actually prefer. But, you know, there you go. Uh, another steel book, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Coppola oh, yeah. film. Now, Coppola, st- I, I, I hope he lives long enough to finish Megalopolis because, you know, Lee never made Nostromo. Kubrick never made uh, Napoleon. They're all these unmade kind of masterful dream films that we imagine. Oh, if only he had lived, he could have, you know, made this yeah. or that or the other thing. So Megalopolis, let's hope that actually becomes a reality. But in the Coppola corpus, this is also a 4K uh, Steelbook, um, 30th anniversary. Can't believe it's been 30 years. I mean, that's just weird to me. 1992, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is as old to us now as Lawrence of Arabia was when we saw this. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Uh, well, uh, it, 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 it's, it's dizzying. Uh, also, um, uh, when we saw this, I was literally... Uh, uh, one year, uh, half the age that I am now, minus one. <laughs> <laughs> when we saw this. Yeah, uh, more I than was, uh, I was 30 when we saw this. I'm just uh, glad and, that we can actually talk about this and uh, that we're and, not and, like and, the. This movie, I, did we, did we, this movie took a good poking for a whole bunch of reasons. It in, did. In 92. Interestingly, this movie has 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 worn uh, quite well over the course of the last I thirty years. So agree. I was going to say this better thing. now than it was then. Yep. <laughs> you know, in, in yeah. terms of a watch, in terms of a uh, of an experience, it's a better movie than it was in, in ninety two. Oddly, what do you think? What do you, what what is that? I was going to ask you the same question because <laughs> I was thinking the same thing watching it. First of all, first of all, let me just say of all the films we've talked about so far, this is the one that justifies the four K. This is a beautiful 4K transfer. Like, does this make a difference? Yes, it does. The blacks, the contrasts, the reds, you know, all that stuff that where 4K is just like miles ahead of, of regular HD. That really pops here. And there and there and there aren't a lot of films where like, you know, let's say Fright Night, for example, to see Fright Night an advantage on 4K over the HD, you kind of have to A-B them. You got to sort of have two two monitors next to each other and calibrated the same and go, OK, I can see, you know, in this part of the frame, the fewer artifacts. And here, you know, I get like I can I can see how it's improved, but it's not mm-hmm. going to improve my experience. Mm-hmm. Dude, night and day, ah. night and day with Dracula. It is night and day. There is no other way to watch this other than 4K. This one actually just totally kills it. And the sound, superb. HDR is superb. But in answer to your question, here's what I think. I think that movies have gotten so bad and so predictable and so derivative and the visual effects have become so turnkey that um, when you look at this, you feel like, well, that's what, you know, it wasn't that great. It didn't feel that great at the time, but compared to the way things are now, there's a nostalgia factor because we wish that today's tent poles and today's genre films put this kind of artistic effort into them. That's what I think. 
Yeah, as opposed to, uh, like you said, turnkey special effects. And the special effects very often come first. Yeah. Um, we, there's a team uh, who can do a certain thing, and that thing is cool. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and we're going to use that thing. Now, what's a movie we can take and stick that thing in? <laughs> you know that that, yeah. that that is wicked. Oh, we can stick a Dracula movie or whatever the hell it is into yeah. into into this ability to do this thing, and uh, and very very little thought goes into narrative and story and in and character and performance, um, um, uh, or those things are all afterthought or or at best maybe the actors uh, you know they take care of themselves, but certainly yeah. the directors are not there. Uh, you know, trying to get a performance. Out, no. out of wow. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I deeply appreciate a lot of the filmmaking here. I mean, is Keanu Reeves still kind of annoying? Yeah. Is Gary Oldman's accent still completely unplaceable? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you can go down the, the checklist of the things that were annoying about this originally, and they're still annoying, but the stuff that we gave it credit for, at the time, I don't think we gave enough credit for. Mm-hmm. I think there's some really great filmmaking here. That whole Vlad the Impaler prologue is yeah. just dazzling. That is that's some of Coppola's best filmmaking. That's beautiful stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. And I, and I, and I think there's you know, some real bravura acting. Uh, and, and you know, and yeah, we poked at Keanu back in the day. You know, they, they all, but you know what? Even when I watch him in this movie, the thing is, he's effective. Winona, she's effective. Yeah. Yeah. They, Anthony they, Hopkins. They are effective. They're 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 achieving the the intention uh, of, yep. of and I'm like, you know what? Sometimes we need to just shut up and just enjoy the damn thing. You know, that's what it is. That's what this one is. All the extras are on the Blu-ray. Uh, I'm sorry about that. There's not much else on the 4K disc itself other than, uh, you know, a featurette and a music video with Annie, Annie Lennox, which is fine. But, you know, you're not getting this for the extras necessarily. You're getting it for that that great 4k experience. And, uh, I was surprised that there is so much good 4k experience also on army of darkness, yeah, uh, from, uh, from scream factory, shout factory, loads of special features here and they're in 4k. That's yeah. the nice thing. Uh, um, I mean, you know, Sam Ray, this was, you know, and I'm sorry he didn't give this the original title that he wanted to give it. I understand why, you know, mm-hmm. Army of Darkness. It's it's basically this is the the over the top big budget sequel that Evil Dead and, and Evil Dead Two were you know had sort of opened up. Mm-hmm. But the original title was going to tie it to Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two. The original title was Medieval Dead. <laughs> now, that's funny. That's a, that's killer. That's funny. <laughs> I, um, I, I can see how the people at the studio uh, were yeah. like. Uh, First of all, most people don't really know what that is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I love this movie way back in the day, dude. Uh, uh, 90, also 92, uh, 30 years old, uh, Sam Raimi. And, you know, and I was just always a ridiculous uh, fan of Bruce Campbell, Ash Bruce Campbell. Uh, he was he was just one of my guys. I used to run into him all the time way back in the day. And he was just always kind of a cool guy to hang around with. And he always had fun with these movies. Uh, and and so what is that series that's on? Uh, what uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's on yeah. One of one of the streamers. I don't know which yeah. which, which one, but you know, th- they have been making hay with this series of movies since well before this. I, I, the first Evil Dead, but that's like the seventies, right? Seventy eight. Yeah. Uh, the first Evil Dead Maybe is. Early it, I think it's. Oh, I want to say eighty one. Uh, but you do close to 40 years yeah. through this it, up to the present. Everybody's still, yeah, many college, many of their kids have gone to college off that evil dead money. 
I, I have always wanted in a, in a weird twisted way and I don't want any more. Uh, but when <laughs> I was at a certain point, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Ash got like fired and busted down and the only job he could get was as a clerk in another one of Kevin Smith's clerks movies. And then <laughs> we bring the, the zombies into the, into clerks and we kind of merge the two universes. Uh, at, least, at least you could use that to kill the clerks franchise. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which, which, which is not dead, by the way, in case folks don't know, it's still out there. I mean, uh, heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of extras on these things. I'm not even going to get into it. Look, first, I, first Evil Dead was 81, just so we know. Yeah. Uh, and then they remade it, and it wasn't bad in 2013, just just, just, just to maintain our theme here. Yeah. <laughs> in 2013, Evil Dead. I saw that. That was not bad. Uh, but yeah, 81. Uh, and then we've also got the original. Now we're no longer in steel books. Now we're back to just regular 4Ks. So, you know, take care of the uh, keep case so it doesn't crack. Uh, the original Friday the 13th, uh, terrible movie. It was, it was a, you know, it's funny to me. Friday the 13th was just an attempt to riff on Halloween. How do we rip off Halloween without ripping off Halloween? Um, all right, let's just make Halloween, except instead of a William Shatner mask, we'll put a hockey, hockey goalie mask on him and uh, make the same movie. Uh, won't be Michael. It'll be Jason. We'll change the name, but he'll basically do the same stuff to the same people. That's all it was. And you, you know what? There wound up being room for both franchises. It's the yeah. weirdest thing. Uh, that's Cunningham. Uh, look, man, the only thing that I really I never, never, never ridiculous about any of these movies. Uh, I appreciated them as a relatively young person who, you know, enjoyed horror as much as the next guy. But, you know, one of one of one of these was always enough for me. Uh, the so the yeah. only the only thing on here uh, the uh, which is worth watching which is on the uncut version of this just want everybody to understand there's you know there's there's there there is an uncut version that's a little bit gorier. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham does the uh, does a cast and crew uh, yeah. commentary for the uncut version, which is fine. It's it's fine. It's probably the best thing on here. Um, I know what you did last summer. Mm. Never really liked this either. Uh, just felt like uh, you know the tenth dip into this genre. How do we invent, you know, another serial killer? What do we give him? I don't know. Uh, can we give him a new mask? I don't know. Uh, what do we give him something else? I don't know. Freddie has claws. All right, let's give him a hook. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that felt like the gimmick, that the, the only gimmick they had that they could hang their, their hat on here. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, but again, Kevin Williamson, yep, 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 yep. you know, bring, brings, it, brings it with the script and gives it more credibility than it deserves. Not as good as the Scream stuff, but, uh, you know, in the same genre, it's, it's better than it has any right to be. 4K, 25th anniversary, uh, deleted scenes, you know, commentary on the, blue, on the Blu-ray. The deleted scenes are 4K. A um, couple, of, couple other interviews on the 4K, and then everything else is on the, on the Blu-ray. I don't know. Do you, you have any great affection for uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer? Well, at the, I, I happen to, to, to cover the junkets for this way back in the day. And again, I'm, I'm looking at this, this list of folks and all these, 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 these folks that were in this movie. Jennifer Love was kind of big at the time already. Yeah. Uh, but, Mich but Sarah Michelle was not. She had not yet become Buffy. Uh, and Ryan Felipe and Anne Haish, who we lost, you know, uh, down a couple of months ago, however long he's in this movie. And, and of course, Freddie Prince Jr. was about halfway through his career. He was going to be finishing up pretty soon. Uh, uh, with this movie, and so so, I I remember that about this movie. It's one, it's another one of those ones where there are a whole lot of folks in that movie that went on to have actual careers and yeah, uh, and, and be quite enjoyable. Now, what happens in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember what happens. I I know you know they they, they I know what they did last summer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that, and then the guy with the hook and how that guy and the hook and all that stuff came together. Mostly, I I don't remember at all. I do know, in keeping with our theme. 
I think this is a streamer, right? This is a TV series now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they turned it into a streamer, or maybe, oh or maybe it's just one of those CW series. But it's still given. So Kevin Williamson, a little bit more. Well, we also have the original Steven Spielberg direct. I'm sorry, the original Toby Hooper directed <laughs> Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite little cartoons, which ran in Starlog at the time, it was it, it it represented how everyone felt. Which is, there's a picture of Toby Hooper sitting in a in a chair with his crying into his hands, and Steven Spielberg standing behind him with his hand on his shoulder, and there's a projector next to them, and Spielberg says, "I'm sorry, Toby, but the chainsaw has to go." <laughs> And uh, I think that's kind of how everybody feels is that, you know, is this really a Toby Hooper film or it's a Spielberg film in every conceivable way? Um, Steven, of course, wrote it. He did. Um, uh, uh, And, you know, I don't know. Um, I remember loving this film on the day, 82. That little girl. Same year as E.T., by the way. This was the Spielberg summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. About yeah, a decade before all the other movies. And that little girl looking into that uh, that TV screen, which we don't have anymore. There's no such thing as static on a television screen. I know. That doesn't exist anymore. So a lot of folks looking at that would, would today would probably be wondering, what the hell is she? You know, know. <laughs> so uh, there he That was just uh, completely frightening. Again, with the practical effects all over this movie. A little bit of CGI, fresh you know, 1982 CGI, but but mostly practical effects, you know, with the TV yep. screen and all that stuff. That's the stuff that I loved about this movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I thoroughly, thoroughly loved Poltergeist. I remember this is, you know, it. it's funny. There are certain film experiences where you remember when you saw it, with whom, what time, uh, the whole thing. I remember this so well. It was a Saturday matinee, Saturday afternoon at what were then uh, the Plit theaters in century city now torn down and replaced by the caa building um they were mm-hmm. cineplex after that but it was the plit theater before they split it when it still had it still had a balcony and i saw it with a bunch of buddies including my now deceased friend blake who was a little guy blake was very light and their seats in the era before the electric reclining seats they <laughs> kind of bounced a little right they they had a little like the back was a little bit on a spring and I still remember in the middle of the movie, Blake, who was, you know, I don't know, what, what, he couldn't have been more than, I mean, you know, we're in high school. He couldn't have been more than about 95 pounds. He's a really <laughs> little light guy. So Blake is just kind of bouncing on the chair, bouncing on the chair. And so help me, Blake catapulted himself into the row in front of us off of the back of the chair. <laughs> in the middle of this movie. That's hysterical. It was the funniest thing. I'm like, dude, what did you, what? And he starts laughing, and I can't even remember what part of the movie that we missed. And it wasn't that crowded because the movie had been out for a little while already. Yeah, fortunately, but, uh, I love the chair. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, I really do love Poltergeist. I think it's, uh, I think it ages incredibly well. It has this wonderful, wonderful uh, documentary on here. The, they are here, the real world of Poltergeists. Uh, which is, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it gives you, you know, some context into the, 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 the reality of, of what underlies the film and what, you know, the, the whole paranormal um, backdrop. Uh, there's also the making of Poltergeist in a trailer, uh, all of which are on the Blu-ray, but the 4K is a really, really excellent 4K transfer. Uh, so big time kudos there uh, to Warner Brothers for doing what they do to all this stuff and just really, really, uh, you know, Warner Brothers just does great 4K work. 
Mm-hmm. And of um, course, the reboot. 2015. Yeah, see, they all keep rebooting it. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. No, who was who was in? Yeah, Sam Rockwell. I think was in that movie. Yeah. So let's let's get into just the hand, last handful of uh, 4Ks here before we move on to things. Um, uh, there's also, did you see the uh, DC League of Super Pets uh, animated movie a couple of months ago? Yeah, yeah, it didn't do didn't do very well, did it? No, um, uh, no. It's, I, I, I could have told him that. Yeah, that that I don't know. I I did I don't I did not see that. As a uh, further exploitation route of the of this you know, particular DC superhero I, universe, DC just don't <laughs> seem to be able to get anything right. I, you know, it's just it's I, I I don't know who who pitched this and why nobody pushes back. I mean, the, all the studios, everybody needs somebody at a certain point who raises their hand and says, "Emperor's got no clothes. Yeah. We need yeah. that kid in the room more often." Everybody's too afraid now. I mean, look, is it well animated? Does it have a cute moments? Yeah, but. I mean, now the question is, there's so much product out there. Do I need this? Does mm. this plug a hole? And the answer is no, not really. Um, yeah. Not really. I mean, there's some fun stuff on here, like find the Easter eggs. Okay, that's cute. But I just don't know any kids that would respond to this. And what's ironic is we also get this the same week, obviously deliberately timed, with the complete series on DVD, not 4K, of Crypto the Superdog. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, here's the thing. This probably cost one one thousandth, thirty nine thirty nine episodes made for like a a min- minuscule fraction of what they spent on that movie, and it is more enjoyable because it understands this is a kids show. Yeah, it's not trying to be. Oh, we're spending you know eighty five million, so we got to somehow get the adults and get a little more. It's not trying to you know be the ultimate family thing. It's like, look, we we spent you know a buck fifty on a kids' TV show. It's a Saturday morning deal, thirty nine episodes. Love it or leave it, but we're not going to lose our shirts on it. And and, and, it, and it will live. It will live in the place where children will see it. Children will yeah. see it streaming or on television or whatever. Children don't. Children are not uh, um, um, clamoring. Uh, to be taken to a movie uh, theater to see, uh, you know, any of these sort of uh, cartoons. Uh, yep. they, they know they can actually watch at home. Why are we at the theater for this? You know, we can, totally I, I can watch it at home whenever I want to. So, yeah, and, no, it doesn't make any sense. And I like the voice characterizations of the characters better. And, uh, you know, it's just the whole Super Pets thing. The, the comedy is better. The writing is better. It just... There it is. There it is. The complete series of Crypto, the Superdog on DVD, more enjoyable than DC League of Super Pets on 4K and cheaper. Mm. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Got another one. I'm just going to toss this up. Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblind animated uh, pushes. You know, I mean, I, I it's not for me. This is for people half my age, if not younger. Uh, I'm not really following the, you know, I don't know what Earth Realm is or any of this <laughs> stuff anymore. I really don't. It's. They've, they've taken they've created a universe for Mortal Kombat that just uh, requires too much work, if I can mm. put it that way. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're a fan, new, 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 new live action Mortal Kombat in theaters. Yeah, uh, didn't didn't like week, that either. Or something didn't like, like that, that either. Yeah, so, you know, there you go. Uh, we got Fatal Attraction on 4K, um, which, of course, famous for its you know original ending that was considered too intelligent. So they went back and reshot a whole crazy, ridiculous new ending that uh, made it a hit. But yeah. I'm one of those who prefers the original ending. Uh, uh, Tim, your feelings on the the at, at the time of the 35th anniversary of the first 4K release of Fatal Attraction? How does this movie age? Well, it's a little tough, man. Uh, it, it posts me too. 
uh, or in the middle of Me Too. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're not post Me Too. Uh, 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 this movie uh, to because you know even at the time though um, there were some people who were upset that the character Alex Alex Force character character that Glenn Close played made you know it was effectively called the crazy woman. Uh, you know, and, and, and he's the cheater guy and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and she's the crazy woman. Um, uh, going, so, you know, even that was talked about at the time. Today, probably couldn't make this movie constructed in this way. I don't think you could, man. Uh, I'm not sure it would get past executive scrutiny. Uh, yeah. No matter which ending, because you spoke about that ending, the end of this one, we know what happens to that. No matter which ending, uh, at the end of the day, I think today this movie would, would, would play as though it's a movie that lets the cheater guy off the hook. I think yeah. that, that, that might be the take on it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how times change. And it's interesting that this was made by Adrian Lyne. Mm. Uh, we got another Adrian Lyne movie we're going to be talking about shortly, which I think suffers from the same issue, frankly. But we'll get to that uh, momentarily. In any case, 4K Fatal Attraction finally out. Um, fascinating uh, artifact of its day. Uh, we also have uh, our last two 4Ks here is a double feature from Paramount uh, as part of the Paramount Presents series, which is fascinating to me, from 1951 and 53. War of the Worlds and When Worlds Collide, uh, a 4K double feature of two 1950s era, uh, early atomic era science fiction classics. And uh, really, they look great. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that Paramount has done here. Very smart to put these two films together because I I think, and you tell me if if you think I'm wrong or right on this, I never really thought of putting these two films together but it's not just a shameless marketing ploy by Paramount. Oh, let's, you know, try to No, these films really do represent something in 1951 and 53. We're talking mm-hmm. just years after the atomic explosions, the end of World War II and fears in 51 and 53 during the Korean War that it might all happen again. And I think both of these films represent kind of a different silo on the paranoia that was yeah. common during the duck and cover moment. Absolutely. 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 Um, uh, in, in that, in that period in, in, in particular, and particularly uh, when worlds collide, I mean, War of the worlds, you know, a much more uh, well-known film, of course. Uh, but when worlds collide, um, I think that's a special film too, Rudolf Mate. And uh, the, the idea that earth is doomed and, and I think that we just had an, uh, not an experiment. I guess it was an experiment. NASA just, just did, did an experiment where they had to move a, uh, where they, they crashed something into a, um, asteroid to move it. Like this, yep. this literally just happened. Not that the asteroid was coming toward Earth, but they just wanted to figure out, you know, uh, how do, how, how do we do this? So this is stuff that was being thought about in 1951. Uh, it, it, this movie is far and away better than say, uh, don't look up from last year. You know, yeah. That movie about you know the asteroid. Yeah. This, movie, this movie is far and away better than that movie. And and then and then there's a whole lot of speculative technology uh, in both of these movies, but particularly when worlds collide. That ship that they put on the end of the ramp, that rocket ship. Yeah, it's like a jet ship or something like they put on this ramp that goes up across it and they rocket out. Yeah, this is speculative technology that they're actually thinking about now, almost a hundred years ago. 
So anyway, uh, I like this movie quite a lot. War of the Worlds, great movie. Love War of the Worlds. But uh, when worlds collide, make sure you check that one out. A lot, a lot now, of people don't know that one really the, as well. The, and the caveat here, the caveat here, which is which is buried a little bit, just so everybody understands. War of the Worlds is the one with the 4K restoration here. It is beautiful. It's fantastic. Well, Worlds Collide is only on Blu-ray, but it looks amazing. You're not missing anything. You're not getting anything. It's uh, I believe it's a 4K transfer, but the, it's here in it's 4K in high def. Right. Mm. So but having both of these films on the same set is really wonderful and um, can't recommend it highly enough. Beautiful extras for uh or War of the Worlds in particular, and I just think it's really smart to put these two together. It's just mm-hmm. a great artifact of the period. Our last uh, 4K is a steel book, and it is uh, a Best Buy exclusive, so you can only get it at Best Buy. But it has been it has been out in 4K previously, uh, not as a disc, but for a you know in digital, you could you could buy it digitally. But now you get the disc, um, and it is uh, Steven Soderbergh's The Limey. Oh. Uh, Gosh, Tim, why do we... 99, that was 99, wow. I know, over 20 years ago. Why do we love this movie so much? I mean, uh, what, there's what something is it so, about this movie? There's something so deeply true uh, about this movie. And of course, this is wonderful. the wonderful way that it's put together using all of that footage of Terrence Stamp, uh, a, a young Terrence Stamp uh, 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 from previous films. Uh, to tell this so really, really just deeply moving story, original story, Lim Dobbs. Uh, the screenwriter, original story, <laughs> you know, that the thing that we've been talking about and Peter Fonda and just one of his, one of the best performances of his career, along with Terrence Stamp. This was really just such a good film. So good. And I mean, it, you know, it has one of my favorite shots in movie history, which is it, because it's chilling, but it's hilarious at the same time, which is that lock off shot of, of Terrence Stamp showing up at the house when everybody's mulling around and the security guard tries to kind of rough him up. He winds up just throwing the guy off the balcony. And it all <laughs> takes place in the background. And you just, it's where you realize he's, this guy's a badass yeah. and he's going to get away with everything. Yeah, he's, he's just going to do what he wants. Probably don't want to mess with this guy. You're but not going to mess with him. Has, but he has a good, solid motivation, which is what I really love about it. Yep. His uh, death of his yeah. daughter. Yep. The Limey. Absolutely terrific. Um, really, really great 4K. Uh, this is, you know, just an absolutely terrific transfer. Lionsgate, and it's a Best Buy exclusive. You can only get it at Best Buy. Let me roll through a few uh, docs here. We haven't done docs in a while, and uh, I'll uh, I'll give you a moment to breathe. Uh, I, I've had a chance to look at at least some of all of these, and uh, there's some really good stuff here. Samira's Dream is from uh, IndiePix. It's a it's a good little. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, one of these great character docs. It's about this uh, woman named Samira who is from Zanzibar and wants a life that for, you know, for rural African women is just something that you don't normally get. She wants a better life. She wants an education. Um, she wants to, to better herself. She just wants the things that aren't available to her. And it's, and it's, it's that snapshot of her journey and it's done over the course of seven years, and um, it is so touching and it is so beautiful. You can watch it on uh, on Prime on Amazon, but you can also get it on DVD if you want to have it on the shelf. And I think you should because it's really, really good. Mm. That is uh, Samira's Dream from IndiePix. Uh, and then we've also got <clears throat> 
Fanny, The Right to Rock. This came out a little while ago. This is from Film Movement. Really, really uh, pretty great. The, you know, if you haven't heard of, heard of Fanny, you could be forgiven. Fanny was a, um, a, a really terrific girl band in the 1960s, started by a couple of sisters. But the great thing about Fanny is that these were all, gir- all Filipina Americans. These are all girls who came from immigrant Filipino families. And um, they formed this tremendous rock band, which just had this really, really, it was the first all-girl band to be, you know, make a major dent in the music industry. And it, and it's it's historic. And they haven't gotten the credit that they deserve. And it's a really, really great film. I reviewed this for radio at the time, too. I'm so thrilled it exists. I wish it were on Blu-ray, but, you know, it, it there's a reason why it doesn't. And it's great that they're all still around and they're, they're getting back together again. And to see them reminisce about the days and to find out everything that's transpired since. It's really a, a, a just a wonderful, wonderful celebration. So Fanny, the right to rock, really terrific. And a lot of great people in here who pay tribute to them, who say, without Fanny, you know, I wouldn't be what I am. I mean, everybody from Bonnie Raitt, Todd Brundgren. Uh, it's very, very, it's very, very cool. A lot of people love Fanny and still give them all the credit in the world. So if you haven't heard of Fanny, you want to hear about Fanny. Yes. Um, Summers with Picasso. Oh yeah, uh, I, saw, I saw that one too. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad, right? I mean, this is uh, this is uh, you know uh, pretty much strictly for Picasso fans. I about a little over a year ago spent some time in the Picasso Museum in Paris and and really gained a greater appreciation for Picasso, at least a certain phase of Picasso. Uh, and uh, this is this is two films here together. This is Summers with Picasso includes uh, on the French Riviera with Man Ray and Picasso. Uh, by François, uh, François Levy Kuntz. And then there's a second film, Picasso and Sima on Tibes, 1946, which was made by Christian Tron. And this is all about the uh, friendship that Picasso had with uh, a sculptor and photographer, Michel Sima, when he was in the town of Antibes, which is right near Cannes. It's on the French Riviera near, near Cannes. Beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, kind of a little cape just up the, up the coast or east of Cannes where the Cap d'Antibes and, you know, ho- the big hotel is. Um, but in any case, you know, it, it's all, it's all beautiful background, all beautiful Picasso, you know, and on the Riviera and, and during the prime of his career. And you learn a lot from both of these. And then there's this really great little bonus film by uh, Alain René and Robert Hessens called Guernica, which has all kinds of uh, Picasso works in it. It's just a short film, 14 minutes long, but it's all relative to the Picasso sort of, um, expressing in art his horrors over the uh, Spanish Civil War. So uh, for uh, Picasso fans, this is gold. For people who aren't familiar with Picasso, probably requires a little bit of a learning curve because uh, it doesn't give you a lot of backdrop. But if you come into it with a little bit of knowledge, this beautiful DVD from Icarus is well worth the uh, the exploration. Yes. Uh, uh, Tim, did you ever see Why Is We Americans? I don't think I know that one. This is... Um, uh, the executive produced by Lauren Hill and Oren Moverman, both really terrific people. I would, I would love for you to have, have given, seen this and given me, you know, if we were in person, uh, yeah. you could have seen this and given me your take on it. I think it's a really, really fascinating film. It's, uh, at least for me, it's about the, um, Miri Baraka Jr. has exactly. This, this, yeah. It's a, it's about the, the, the Baraka family and, um, which I was not familiar with. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with the Newark rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. That was, you know, when I was, when I was a, I was a kid, but I was too young to really understand it. 
but it's um it's you know this is a this is a ma- a significant black family in the history of Newark mm-hmm. and uh this is where they came from and their activism and where they you know how what what they have become today i mean it's you know it's this really kind of amazing family saga and um uh really really intriguing you i mean tell me what give me your your take you know not necessarily on the film but the baraka family well yeah miri baraka the first yeah, the, the 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 senior yeah. Uh, Baraka, who, who died in, in 2014, is just a legendary, uh, writer and, and, and poet and, and, and activist. He taught, he taught, um, um, uh, what did he teach at? I think University of Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and for years and years, the new music, I mean, the, the music of Amiri Baraka is just amazing. So you're, you're right. Uh, he was a very good friend of, um, uh, of James Baldwin's. Uh, and have and have been compared to him often. It's just a wonderful sort of uh, uh, patriarch of this of this family that apparently uh, shows up in this film to talk about their father and that in that entire history. Yeah. I see here also Cory Booker, of course, out yeah. of Jersey, uh, and and Maya Angelou. Uh, but uh, yeah, but Amiri Baraka, yeah, just in a, you know a well known figure. Um, uh, uh, like I said, right alongside James Baldwin and all those other guys from that. Well, that's from Corinth Films. It's on DVD and it's directed by Udi Aloni and Ayana Morris. So really interesting, uh, really interesting history there. And I, I feel bad for making fun of Newark because I always kind of make fun of Newark. <laughs> Everyone makes fun of it's Newark. Crazy. I'm like, eh, maybe I shouldn't be so tough on Newark anymore. Um, got, a, got a Blu-ray and CD combo set here. The Police Around the World uh, Restored and Expanded. This is uh, this is the the first world tour that the police not that not like the law enforcement for those who are of a certain age. There was once a band called the police. Yeah, once a band. That's where Sting came from. He came from a band called the police. Sorry <laughs> to have to get a little back on that. But uh, anyway, this is the uh, the album and the Blu-ray of that original fi- first world tour, and uh, it's a great uh, it's a great jump back in time. It's a great little flashback. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, the music is really ultimately what it's all about. This all took place in 1979 and 1980. And uh, it's a great little uh, little blast and blast from the past. So I, I really enjoyed this. I'd forgotten how much of this I had already seen. Um, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the documentary documenting their their world tour is very much of the moment. It's very it's a very 79 80s thing. It feels very MTV, but it's really really cool. So, The Police Around the World Restored and Expanded. Uh Putin's Witnesses, that's timely. Uh, this is a uh, another Icarus uh, uh documentary. Um it uh it, it really uh, boy, it it's it knowing what's going on right now in Ukraine and how how close we are to the brink again, it's it's rather fascinating and chilling to go back to this um, because it goes, it takes us all the way back to 1999 when uh, Boris Yeltsin basically handed the reins to Vladimir Putin and everybody said, who? Yeah. And um, the director of this, um, Vitaly Mansky, uh, it was, he started capturing footage of Putin at that very moment. And he was working for Russian television. He was, he was a news guy at Russian television. And um, he, in many respects was responsible for creating the myth and the mystique of Putin that he carefully exploited in the years over. Hmm. So um, <coughs> it, it, it feels almost like a, um, uh, it almost feels like an apology of sorts for what he did 
You know what I mean? It, 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 it you get the feeling that he wants to do this as a mea culpa. In any case, uh, <laughs> it, it it really is uh it really is fascinating to revisit all of that and uh and it's it just you know your blood runs cold a little bit watching it as you go back in time and realize you know we didn't realize what was happening at the time yeah uh, great blu-ray feature length doc uh the beatles in india this has been the subject of a lot of uh ridicule too when the, mm-hmm. when the beatles went went all kind of guru and uh started hanging out with the maharishi mahesh yogi I don't know how many people know the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, but he was a guru uh, and he used to have a TV show that aired pretty much every day on uh, one of the high with the high channels, UHF or VHF, which one was UHF. Yeah. Yeah. It was like on this UHF channel. And my buddies and I, and when we were in high school, you had to have the the round antenna. That's it. You had to have the right antenna. And so, you know, and there were two knobs on the TV, right? One was UHF, (laughs) one was VHF and VHF had all the normal channels and UHF was like, I don't know, maybe if we're lucky, we'll get something. (laughs) And uh, we used to race home from school and run over to my friend William's house. Because he, you know, lived in a place where he could get those that reception. Man, we would like we tune in, we tune in Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. We would lo- watch that guy, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody here, but man, we we would have no idea what he's talking about. We would watch him for just like an hour, and he would just he just talk, and he would he would he would do this thing. I know I should be talking about the Beatles, but whatever. I got I got to go. I got to go Maharishi. And and every once in a while, he would stop in the middle of a sentence and go, hmm? And then he'd start talking again. I don't know why he would do it. It's this weird, that, that weird dude lived tick. to be 90. That dude, that dude he, he lived in 2008 or something like that. Nobody you know, knows how old he was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was weird. But anyway. I'm I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, the, the George, John, Paul, and Ringo uh, at a certain point went full guru, and uh, this documentary is all about that that uh, their attempt to somehow find themselves in India, and you know, um, you know, they're incredibly wealthy, and they're looking mm-hmm. for something that uh, they didn't find in in Liverpool, and they hadn't found in wealth, and that part of it is it feels more profound, I think, than. People have given it credit. But anyway, it is a very, very interesting doc. Uh, very interesting. Is that, is, this, is that the Paul Saltzman uh, doc? Or is it who, who directed that one? This is directed by I should I should you'd, you'd think I would know that right off the off the bat. No, this is directed by uh, a Joy Bose. A Joy Bose. We'll have to look that one up. There's, there's one from from a couple of years ago, Meeting the Beatles in India, that Paul Saltzman directed that. Uh, I think Morgan Freeman did voiceover for that. And so that's so the, the Maharishi's in that too, and David Lynch and a few other people. So it would be interesting to sort of compare those two. We probably talked oh, yeah. about it a couple of, days, a couple of years ago. Uh, so here, here, this, this kills me. This kills me. The, the, Tim, yeah, I'm, I'm showing this to you. Scarf face. See that? <laughs> yeah. See it? They did. So it, it looks like a scar face, but it's, you know, the artwork is scarf face. And then instead of, you know, Al Pacino in the middle, it's a hot dog. This <sighs> is a, this has nothing to do with Scarface. They just totally, they exploited it for, for the hell of it. This is basically a doc about uh, competitive eating content excuse me, competitive eating contests. And uh, I, uh, I didn't want to eat for about three days after watching this. <laughs> it's really gross. This is from IndyPix uh, as well. And, uh, you know, Kobayashi, the Japanese guy who just somehow can shove more hot dogs in his gullet than any oh, human yeah. being uh, alive. Yeah. 
is is it's scary that Nathan's hot dog contest. But this goes on to you know all kinds of other stuff and other people, and it's kind of gross. I don't really understand why people do this, no. but you know what? They do it, and yeah. there's some good audio commentary stuff on here with the uh, the co-directors Joseph Ruser and Sean Slater, and they talk about why they made this. There's outtakes that are going to turn your stomach, um, and uh, an interview with journalist Walt Hickey. So you know. I guess if that interests you, go for it. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Uh, Nick Cave, 20,000 Days on Earth. This is a film by Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard. Uh, this was at Sundance. It is um, it, it is a, a fascinating look at uh, Nick Cave's creative process. And, uh, you know, not everybody's a big Nick Cave fan. His, his movie scores are a little bit... Uh, twee and i i think some people are you know they've, they've sort of written him off as being somebody who's a little bit it's sort of like he's the he's the he's he's a little bit fringier than uh uh what's the radiohead yeah he's kind of like he's like radiohead light or something yeah. anyway but his creative process is fascinating and uh I, I, you know, if, if you, if even if you aren't a Nick Cave fan, I think this is well worth watching, especially in Blu-ray. It's very, very nicely made and very, very well shot. Ian Forsythe and Jane Pollard, Twenty Thousand Days on Earth. Mm. Blu-ray. I'm a Bad Seeds fan, you know. Uh, yeah. he has a lot of music in that new, uh, in that new uh, Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer documentary that's out now. Yeah. Uh, Monster, whatever they call it, Nick Blonde and Nick Cave stuff. Yeah. He even has some stuff in Blonde. Uh, he did have seven blonde. I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gallant Indies. This is another doc by Icarus. And um, the, this is, um, so this, this goes to a, uh, a performance piece in Paris in 2019, just before the pandemic, when uh, you had all this troop of dancers that were put together at the uh, the Bastille Opera in Paris. Now, there are two opera houses in Paris. There's the old opera house, which is, you know, classic old Napoleonic opera house. And it's beautiful. And then there's the new opera house, which was built at the Place Bastille, where the Bastille prison that was at the center of the French Revolution used to be. So it's now this really kind of glass and steel, almost dated now, this glass and steel opera house. Mm. So this is a um, this is a, a production of Les Andes Galantes. Uh, done with all these dancers in a very new kind of uh, cool way. Les Andes Galantes is a is a very famous piece of French stage production, mm-hmm. and uh, so this is this is all about that new production from 2019, and it's it's done in a way that it's meant to sort of culturally reflect how France has changed, the way that it has changed ethnically and culturally, the way that it's now basically a society that's a melting pot and integration of all of the former French colonies. And that the meaning of what it is to be French is is in flux, which mm. France takes as a point of pride. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're not familiar with the piece itself, it, it might take a little getting used to to appreciate what it has been and what it is now and how this interpretation is meaningful. Mm. But um, it, it's it's really quite, uh, quite jarring and it's quite beautiful. And, uh, you know, you, you get a great look at this creative process gorgeous, as well. Gorgeous. Not to mention and, the music. And usually it's ballet, and, but because this is, uh, these dancers are from all kinds of different backgrounds and genres, you have yeah. modern and you have tap and you have all kinds of things that are happening yeah. uh, in this, in this opera, uh, in this ballet, but it's, yeah, so it's, it's beautiful. Pretty great stuff. Uh, Monoblock is also from Icarus. 
this is the uh, story of that infernal plastic chair that everybody owns that sits in everybody's garage and you know they're stackable and there's a million different variations on them and uh there's a reason why everybody owns them yeah. uh, because they're cheap and somehow they work and and you know but at the same time they're filling landfills all over the planet and uh this is this this uses that infernal chair as kind of an entree point to look at issues of, ec- of of economics and inequality and sustainability and it, you know the chair is kind of this nexus point for all of these larger conversations yeah. but all i could think of in watching this was i hate that chair <laughs> i hate that chair i've got like four of them stacked in the garage and i don't know what to do with them and i don't want them to go into a landfill but i i can't, they're not worth anything what, what do i do with them yeah, and that's sort of the point. It's not it, 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 there must be twenty of them out in the back right now. <laughs> uh, they, it, you know, and and somehow they seem to multiply on their own. I haven't bought any. I, I, I didn't buy any of those. Yeah. I don't know whether, but whenever somebody comes, I have this target complex. They bring one. They bring one. They. Bring I know. One. See, that's what it is, right? You know, people move. You know, every single one that we have was given to us by somebody who moved. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you need to share. No. <laughs> they, I, I just, they are. They are quasi indestructible. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, really, you have to have done something to one of those things to actually break it. And in a bizarre way, particularly if you throw a pillow, you know, in the in the, in the yeah. seat of it, and, and you know, people look up the chair. You'll know the chair when you see it. Like, yeah. You're kind of ridiculously comfortable. You can sit right down in that thing, dude. Let me tell you something. I have seen I have seen extremely obese people break a lot of chairs. I've seen <laughs> when I worked at the movie, when I worked at the theaters, you think some of those theater chairs are destructible? Man, nope. I've seen obese people come in and crunch. I've seen obese people break chairs on airlines where they had yeah. to tape it off. Yeah. I have seen I have seen obese people break every kind of chair. I was at a wedding once in a backyard, a nice backyard, you know. But I saw like a 400-pound person drop into one of those monoblocks. That chair handled it like a trooper. <laughs> did not bend, did not buckle. It defied physics. I just can't. I, I, I'll tell you, you, when you say they're indestructible, they are indestructible. Yeah, man. Man. All right. Uh, another one from Icarus. Uh, this is really new. A History of the European Working Class, which is a film series by Stan Newman. Uh, really, really interesting. You know, if you're American and you grow up here, you learn a lot about Obviously, you know, the American labor movement, the working class, sweatshops, uh, on and on and on and on. Right. That's that's sort of a key part of American history from the uh, around the Industrial Revolution. What we don't know is the history as it uh, progressed in Europe, which is parallel, uh, but in many respects, very, very different. And this is a four episode series that gets into that. And, And, you know, it's really, really very, very interesting. Uh, where it diverges and where it doesn't from uh, what happened in the U.S. So, um, and, and of course, uh, such a history is going to be a much longer history. Yeah, um, uh, that, yeah. It depends on when, when you want to start counting. Uh, maybe, maybe the post feudal period. But yeah. to me, as far as that, that's the working class too. So I don't know when you want to start. Uh, true. Well, this yeah. this this is mostly uh, the you know from the um, industrial revolution to the present, but it gets into a lot of the more volatile episodes that the United States was spared. And there's a lot of volatility in, in Europe and just owing to those centuries of class struggle, which the United mm-hmm. States doesn't really have. No, didn't no. really. We didn't inherit the, that baggage, uh, which goes back to numerous revolutions, including the French Revolution. Um, uh, golden era, all one oh. word, golden era. This is about uh, the video game for GoldenEye, the James Bond GoldenEye video game. 
I don't know that this really warranted its own documentary, but it's apparently very impressively significant in that when it came out in 1997 for the Nintendo 64, that it was the like the, the beginning of 3D gaming and it somehow was this uh, pioneering video game. Again, I stopped playing video games when uh, they they tried to improve on Asteroids. So I'm a little bit behind the curve, like Asteroids 2 or whatever it was called, not or, 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 or Megaroids, or I can't even remember what it was, but it was the sequel game to Asteroids, and it was not as good. And you're like, not into it. And I kind of threw the towel in at that point. Yeah. So uh, I don't really understand the, the, the overarching relevance of this thing, but somebody will, and that's from Cine Dime, so that's Golden Era. Very narrowly tailored doc. Uh, Blu-ray called Cinematographer, which is a, uh, a, a study of cinematography uh, as practiced on certain films by certain people. And in this case in particular, they're, they're really looking at, uh, you know, films in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Owen Roisman and Jack Green are sort of the, the central figures here. Dan Asma directed this. I I, I want to mention this because it's it's good, but it's not comprehensive. It's like a nice snapshot of a certain kind of cinematography from a certain period and the work of certain men. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time with it because I prefer something much more comprehensive and in depth. But it's still, you know, if you have a chance to see it, it's good. Don't go out and buy it. I wouldn't make an over effort. But if it winds up on streaming and you can see it, it's, it's you know, it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Rhodes, Reflections of a Guitar Icon, uh, after 40 years, narrated by Tracy Guns uh, from, you know, Guns N' Roses. Uh, I, I'm not a big Randy Rhodes fan, Tim. You're, you're, you're more the music guy. Uh, Randy Rhodes is significant as all that. Well, yeah, look, I, I, I appreciate Randy, um, uh, um, as, as, as a part of those people. Um, you know, wrote some stuff with, with, uh, with Ozzy and, you know, yeah, I was a quiet riot guy. I like quiet riot way back in the day. Kind of like that. But what I, what I like about Randy, <laughs> um, Randy could rip is, 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 is hot as Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Joe Bonasada, all those guys, guys. I mean, he could rip, but for whatever reason, he didn't get the, he didn't get the kind of cred that they got. Uh, well, died of, young, died yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, uh, eighty-two, I think, something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, but no, I was, um, uh, yeah, I was a fan. I was. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, and and the thing is, what's tragic? Died, he was, he was twenty-five when he died. He didn't die from like a heroin overdose or you know some horrible you know suicide or some horrible no. typical rock and roll thing. It was a plane crash. Plane, plane crash, man. Yeah. So it wasn't the the usual rock and roll death. It was more the you know the uh, the the uh, Oh, the, the the Buddy Holly, the, the, the Buddy Holly, uh, yeah, that that the, the big bopper and that whole yeah, tragic those thing. Kind of, it was, those kind yeah. Of yeah, yeah, Altman Brothers. I think, I think, I think a plane crash got one of the old, one of those yeah, Altman Brothers. Yeah, I think, right? I think so yeah. too. Uh, Bernard Henri Lévy is an amazing figure. Uh, yeah. If you haven't followed him, he's he's a French intellectual and uh, journalist and uh, filmmaker and. Uh, human rights activist mm. and he, he's a phenomenal figure he's just an absolutely phenomenal figure and he's made a number of films as he has traveled the world he has dedicated his life to this he's made a number of films traveling around the world going to these hot spots um these war-torn places and basically trying to make a difference and mm. uh um sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't but the films live forever and the films will originally eventually make a difference this is two discs four films i wish they were blu-ray but they're dvd they're going to get more distribution this way 
He's in he's in Ukraine right now shooting some stuff. I know. Um, uh, look, look, we um, uh, Bernard. Uh, yes, absolutely, Henri Bernard. Uh, but of course, Bernard got caught up in the whole uh, Me Too sort of situation as well. Uh, yeah. uh, for some things he might have been involved with. Um, um, uh, but but nevertheless, yes, absolutely right. Everything you said about his philosophical uh, uh, and filmmaking um, um, excursions out into the world. Yeah. These are four films. The Oath of Tobruk. The ba- all of them made just in the last 10 years. The Oath of Tobruk. The Battle of Mosul. He was there. Uh, Peshmerga. 2016 and then most recently just released a few a couple of months ago maybe three months ago the will to see which is chilling because there's a point in the will to see i think it's in libya where you you lose track of where he's going because he goes all over the place he winds up in bangladesh you know seeing people that he's seen before and you know they all love him and they all remember him and all these you know he's just trying to draw attention to war and poverty and all of these horrible things and at one point in libya there's a chase scene in the movie they they figure out that he's in the country and the terrorists that have it in for him, um, they are on the road and they are going like 100 miles an hour in the Jeep and trying to lose these guys. I mean, it's right there in the film. It's a real life, you know, and they see the guns and uh, it's pretty chilling. I mean, his life is always at risk. He's not like some he's not like these the celebrities who go to Ukraine only when there's a, uh, a, a an accompaniment of enough. Uh, security and and state security and cameras yeah. and what everybody has sort of vetted the situation and said okay like when Boris when Boris Johnson went and you know yeah. met with Zelensky it's like okay we got to make sure that there are no missiles incoming Bernard doesn't give a damn he just yeah. he goes where he goes and and uh, it's it's fascinating so this is an amazing set four films and you're going to be riveted by every single one of them all right that's it for the docs uh tim television criterion what else uh should we dive into well I, let's let's do some criterion because i want to talk about lost Hi- highway for sure uh-huh. uh and, let's and, talk about and, lost and, highway and night of the living did which uh, is lost- 4k lost highway in 4k by the way that, that movie holds up too by the way um you know so lost well it was at the time, 97, you know, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say controversial, but a lot of folks were like, you know, well, what's what's going on in, 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 in this movie? But over the years, it has just become a stronger and stronger uh, mm-hmm. part of the uh, of the canon of David Lynch. And, and, and I really, really like this movie, of course. Uh, one of the one of the near maybe the last but one of the near to last performances from uh, Richard Pryor uh, in this movie. Yeah, uh, right. some controversial figures in this movie that weren't quite controversial at the time, but on their way, Robert Blake yeah. <laughs> in, in this yeah. movie. Uh, it, it, so anyway, yeah, I, I, Lost Highway, I always dug this movie and thought it was a super interesting movie. Right up there along the side, um, uh, Mulholland. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I, big fan of Lost Highway. I am too. And this is a beautiful 4K. It's a 4K Blu-ray combo set. Great interviews with everybody on here. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's tremendous. It, the interviews are the gold on this thing because uh, I know a lot of these people. My wife was working for Lynch at this time. So mm-hmm. I remember all these days. I remember the Lost Highway and the Mulholland Drive and the and the straight story. Uh, those were good days. And um, uh, there was a story every single day. There was a story every single day. And, uh, I, you know, so I feel like I sort of saw this film birthed. You know, I would talk to her and she'd she'd uh, 
she'd say like, oh boy, you know, there's this, there's this thing in the film, like Robert Blake, he shaved his eyebrows. She <laughs> shaved his eyebrows. He did what? You know, he shaved his eyebrows. You're going to love it. It's great. Uh, so, you know, I, I was there in the, through the, the embryonic uh, evolution of this film and it was great to see it come together. And I remember uh, when we went to the first screening of it, it was just like, man, this became my favorite Lynch film. Yeah. Now, my wife prefers Mulholland Drive because her hands are in it. She, she hand doubled <laughs> yeah. for Naomi Watts in one shot. But um, I, I think Lost Highway is just like the perfect Lynch film. It, uh, it's amazing. And, and it, you know, I also love it because it wound up inspiring uh, Cachet. Oh, yeah. Right? So th- there's, a, there's a crossover to Cachet, uh, which I think is, mm-hmm. is quite interesting as well. Um, let's talk about some other uh, criteria and stuff. There's, a, there's another 4K here. We're still not done with 4K today, people. It's an interesting <laughs> little thing. So Night of the Living Dead in 4K. George Romero's original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, not the visually most stunning film ever. Made for a buck fifty. Should this be in 4K? Tim Cogshell. Well, sure. Why the hell not? I just one thing. I just <laughs> I, I saw it. I just saw it. Uh, you because you're running these things on all the uh, you know the, the the regular over the air broadcast channels. And 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 that 16 millimeter, um, uh, you know, probably three quarter inch tape <laughs> or whatever yeah. the hell it was. Uh, they were broadcasting. It looked pretty soft. Uh, I mean, there was literally things were disappearing. Uh, and that big explosion scene, you know, with the uh, when they do the you know out with the gas pumps and all that kind of stuff, it really just flared out the entire screen. It was just a yeah. flare. It was like a flare went off. So I imagine that that won't happen so much uh, on on this 4K that they will have actually used a 4k to bring some of that information down a bit and create some edges which is what they do remember this was shot on 16 millimeter yeah 4k has more resolution than 16 so you are at a resolution that exceeds the original quality of the film yeah so uh that makes it very interesting and i think they've done a really really good job what i love on here is this piece where with frank darabont guillermo del toro and robert rodriguez um, when you get filmmakers who, who sort of s- can sing the praises of what this film means to them uh, on many different levels, very, very interesting. And, you know, there's, there are so many extras on here. Uh, it really is. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. So uh, the film has the film is on a 4K and then uh, there are two Blu-rays that have all of the extras and there are a ton of extras. It's really cool. But what's also out on 4K is The Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Uh, that is not from Criterion. That is from Scream Factory, Shout Factory. Um, but this also has three discs, 4K plus two Blu-rays with all this additional extra material. But the, the 4K also has a ton of, you know, new 4K scan, the uh, audio commentaries and I mean, like four audio commentaries. It's really pretty astonishing. So the question I have is uh, 1985's Return of the Living Dead which was directed by Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon, yeah, yeah. This movie so lives in 1985. And it so does, doesn't it? Way, I mean, the, the 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 poster with the punks with the with the with, with the Mohawks, oh. and uh, because that was a thing in 1982. And when you watch this movie, I mean, all, all the clothes, all it's just all nothing whatsoever to do with the original Night of the Living Dead, right? <laughs> at, it, at all. <laughs> that's the thing they they really are each completely different one is is very much a romero film it's comment but they both they both reflect their eras that's what i yeah. wanted to say yeah. is the romero film uses the genre to comment on you know race relations and and social anxiety and atomic age anxiety and all these things and it's just people in a house you know with mm-hmm. zombies but what i love is they're slow zombies 
they're not these like fast zombies of you know 20 28 weeks later and 28 days later that run at you at breakneck speed you know world war z no these zombies they're slow and they don't stop that's even scarier yeah Scarier, yeah, 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 yeah. And this, and this one, you know, what is it? It's some kind, of, some kind of chemicals or something like that that ultimately yeah. is the yeah. culprit in all of this. Re- return, of the, return of the Living Dead. O- O'Bannon is is just it. It's it just defines the eighties. It almost feels like, uh, oh, hey, you know, Michael Jackson and Thriller. That was there's there. That just gave me an idea. It almost <laughs> takes off from that in some sense. Oh yeah, yeah, and a lot of a lot of really nice practical effects. Uh, yes, in, in this room, this is more of a horror movie. Uh, so you got guys in costumes and arms yeah. jumping around and stuff coming kind of, because you're wearing these wacky. So a lot of really sort of neat, more horror movie style uh, special effects uh, in this movie. So it's closer to the chud than it is anything. To do yeah, with that great analogy. Great analogy. Uh, and the last criterion is really lovely. Uh, not going to spend too much time on this. It's a new Blu-ray of Arsenic and Old Lace, the oh. 1944 Frank Capra film with uh carrie grant just a beautiful movie one of frank capra's most underrated and one of carrie grant's most underrated i think uh but it's a beautiful film adapted from the famous stage play really fun great one for halloween because it's like it's funny but it's not you know it's macabre but it's funny it's it, it it's not going to scare the kids they'll probably laugh uh i think this is just so much fun great audio commentary on here by um charles dennis who wrote the history of uh, arsenic and old lace. And uh, there's also a radio adaptation from 1952 with Boris Karloff. Uh, really, really terrific. Arsenic and old lace is like the perfect family Halloween movie, the classic family Halloween movie. Um, Tim, we also got a few films here from um, imprint, the Australian house via visions imprint line. Uh, this is a great bunch of releases from imprint. You'd have to get these as imports, but I recommend that you do. Mickey Rourke uh, in Barbe Schroeder's Barfly, wonderful box set here. Uh, I didn't like this film when it came out. It has grown on me. I think I didn't like it because I didn't appreciate how well Mickey Rourke depicted Bukowski. And I didn't much care for Bukowski, but my appreciation has has improved over the years. I don't know. What's your feeling about Bukowski? Well, well, I I was never a particularly big fan of Bukowski, uh, his writing or, or just him. He's just, you know, I'm not a big fan of drunks. Uh, yeah. particularly, particularly, particularly obnoxious drunks. Uh, so, 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 but that's why I like this film. This film made me appreciate, um, all of that a little bit more. Faye Dunaway actually very strong in this movie. And it's a really, really great performance from, uh, from Mickey Rourke. So he, he made me, this film made me care about and think about a poet, a writer, uh, you know, a drunk, uh, in, in ways that I hadn't before. So the, I still like the film better than I like Charles Bukowski. I would agree with that. Uh, a lot of great interviews on here. Audio commentary with Barbie Schroeder, audio commentary uh, with uh, a couple of uh, L.A. historians and preservationists. And then there's also a documentary, the Charles Bukowski tapes, uh, which is uh, also, you know, it kind of gives it that perfect context. So really, really uh, pretty terrific. One of the more interesting 80s era films. And then the other imprint releases, a uh, beautiful release of Dersu Uzala. The Akira Kurosawa film, really, really nice. Um, I wish this was 4K, but it's okay. Uh, a lot of great extras on here, including a, uh, a a documentary mapping Kurosawa, a history of Dersu Uzala, and audio commentary by Stuart Galbraith the fourth, brand new audio commentary. Um, also, I'm going to get to the one that I'm most excited about. Also, Harem, 
the oh. um, uh, Arthur Jaffe film that stars Ben Kingsley and Nastasha Kinski. Uh, got a little bit maligned at the time, I think unfairly, in 1985. Yeah. Really a much better film than a lot of people have given it uh, credit for. And uh, the audio commentary by Scott Harrison reevaluates that, as does the video essay by Kat Ellinger. And then uh, we have, here's Adrian Lyne's Lolita. Talked about oh, getting yeah. back to Adrian Lyne and his films that don't date well in the Me Too era. Um, now, this one, I, 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 I kind of, for one thing, Dominic Swain, I think it was, that was a young woman's name, right? Yeah. And that Lolita. I, sure was. I, I, she was just really amazing in that film. She was. Um, yeah. uh, so, 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 and, and I think it was Jeremy Irons and we saw the Jeremy Black Irons. Movie. What year was it? Cause it was, it was, it was set in the present of whatever 1997. year. 1997. 97. And, and in the context of 1997, all right. So we're way, uh, you know, 40 years from, from the, the Vladimir knockoff and all, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're not in that era anymore. Yeah. Uh, we're in sort of present day 1997, which is well before the me too and all of that sort of. Sort yeah. Of here. And this film still took a little bit of heat, um, uh-huh. but I thought I thought he pulled it off. I thought he found the exact right timber for this film that is supposed to make you uncomfortable. If the film didn't make you uncomfortable, the book, the film, either one of the films, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's if you're feeling squirrely, the film is working. I I have very interesting and evolving feelings about this movie. I am a huge fan of, of the Kubrick Lolita. Oh, 1962. Yeah. I watch it uh, probably once every six or seven weeks. I, I practically have that film committed to memory. Um, a significant portion of my love for that film is, of course, that I love Peter Sellers Man. and all the shtick that he does in it. And the other part of my love for that film is my love for Shelley Winters and all the shtick that she does in it. Yeah. Which is hilarious. A lot of funny in that movie. Ain't no funny in this movie. There's no funny in this movie. <laughs> So my first reaction to this was, was like the Kubrick film with all the jokes taken out. Why would I like that? But it is, it is, it is more faithful to the novel. Now that doesn't denigrate either film because Kubrick was known for basically taking written material and turning it into his own thing. Stephen King hates the shining, cannot stand it because it's not the book that he wrote. It's the movie that Kubrick made. Kubrick said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make my own thing out of it. Uh, Kubrick did the same thing with, with Lolita. It's not what Nabokov wrote. It's what he decided he was going to make out of it. Uh, This is what Nabokov wrote. So I I think you have to sort of look at each film and say they're different things. I'm not going to compare them. It's really unfair. And I and I used to. And I think that was unfair. This isn't supposed to be funny or ironic or or uh, any of those sort of Kubrickian attitudes. This is meant to be a, a faithful adaptation of the Nabokov, and it, which it is. And you're right. It's supposed to make us squirm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Kubrick's film wasn't intended to make us squirm. Kubrick's film was, was intended to make us sort of um, be, uh, feel as cynical and bitter as he was uh, and laugh at people. He, he wanted, you know, it was, it, was, it was a precursor to what he did in Strangelove. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I'm, as, as I recall, this film too was still set in like the fifties or the sixties. I, 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 yes, it's, uh, it, it was less, it felt more contemporary. Let's put yeah, it that it way. It felt more I mean, contemporary, yeah. but it was still set in the fifties as opposed to, but yeah, but you're right. The humor, not in this, this is Stephen. Not Schiff. at all. Yeah. And, uh, Frank Langella as Quilty is not Peter Sellers Quilty. You know, you're not laughing at him. You're not you're not cutting him some slack like Peter Sellers. You cut him a little bit of slack because he's just weird. 
Mm-hmm. He's a weird guy. Um, but that's not what Frank Langella plays here. Frank Langella is much more, um, he's much more malign. And Jeremy Irons is less somehow in a way he's almost more sympathetic than James Mason was. And I know I'm comparing again because I, which I said I wouldn't do, but, um, he, he, he seems to be sicker and less amoral. And, you know, you, you really kind of come at the material a little bit differently. Also, I love the Ennio Morricone score. I think it's yeah. absolutely sensational. Yeah. yeah. And Mel- Mel- Melanie Griffith is not uh, Shelley. No. Uh, they're, they're not kind of doing the same thing, not even physically, because part of what Shelley was doing had to do with her physicality. You know, her, yes. Her, yeah. You know, her, her size yeah. And all that. Very much. She shows it. She, she steals the scene from Peter Sellers when they're dancing. Yeah. Uh, and then the first Blu-ray release anywhere, including in the United States or anywhere, uh, maybe China accepted. I don't know. But uh, first release for English language world, at least of Zhang Yimou's The Road Home, a movie that I dearly, dearly love. This is one of Zhang Yimou's best films. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Zhang Ziyi made her debut in this, basically stepping in and becoming the new Gong Li. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a role that Gong Li would have played had she and Zhang Yimou not broken up and she were a little younger. But in any case, this is an absolutely beautiful love story. Um, a very Chinese love story, but one which transcends culture and, uh, you know, about a couple that's just meant to be. And um, wh- what it what the obstacles were, the Chinese cultural obstacles and historical obstacles and, that they had to surmount. It's a beautiful film. It's poetic. It's wonderful. And it's one of his shortest from 1999. It's only 99 minutes long and really, really well worth watching. The Road Home with uh, by Zhang Yimou. Beautiful, beautiful movie on Blu-ray from Via Vision's imprint line. Uh, shall we kick into some? Well, you know what? Hold on. Yeah, what do we got? Let me uh, let me finish off just a couple of a couple of Halloween titles here, and then we can dig into the into some TV. Uh, for Halloween, there is a box set of Paranormal Activity movies that will make you absolutely uh, die. It's uh, it's like everything. It's all all the Paranormal Activity stuff. It's Paranormal Activity one, two, three, four, and then they stop counting and they just start giving them additional <laughs> names because you know why the marked ones next of kin. <clears throat> uh, the ghost dimension, um, uh, the ghost dimension, which was in 3D, by the way. Um, you know what? They're all the same. I can't keep these movies straight. No, no, no. <laughs> but the, the, the only thing, the only thing is like given movies will have given moments that are extremely effective. And, and that will be the marker of that one. Yeah. That, that's the movie that did this. That's the movie where that happened. That's it. But they're all the same. Yeah. Uh, so here's, here's a few other good horror films. Good kind of, you know, uh, some some are culty they're all sort of lower level but they all have something that would make them fun satan's little helper by jeff lieberman this is released by synapse this was from 2004 kind of almost feels more like a 90s film maybe even an 80s film uh but uh you know it's it's fine it's got a little video game angle to it this uh this little kid uh and uh it, it you know of course uh everything goes south the don't play the video game little boy um it, it, because you know he well it, there's a there's a serial killer and guy wears a devil mask and it's it all ties together in a really silly way but it's fun uh special edition edition also from synapse of the kindred i don't know tim did you do you remember seeing the kindred i do uh what i remember about the with the vampire another series. another another one of those 80s horror classics yeah 
uh, 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 is this the one with Rod Steiger? It is. And, yes, and, it's the Rod Steiger and, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, no, I remember this movie. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it was popular at the time. I don't know if it, if it really settled into my mind. It was all about a, a geneticist or something like that. Uh, and yeah, yeah and the, the thing with the tentacles. I remember yep, that. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah happened, that's the yeah. one. What I what I remember what I remember about this is one of the first films where I uh, I became exposed to Amanda Pays, and I was like, I like her. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, Amanda. I forgot about her in this movie. She was fantastic yeah. in this movie. Yeah, young Amanda Pays. Yeah. Uh, also, I have a movie called Marionette, which I thought was hilarious. I'm not supposed to think it's hilarious. I'll be honest with you. This is on uh, DVD. It's from the Horror Collective. Um, but uh, it, I thought it was hilarious. It's it's basically a uh, there's a there's a 10 year old boy. This 10 year old boy got basically makes this poor therapist life complete misery. Um, and uh, I just I just thought it was hysterical. Um couldn't stop watching it it's a good one to put on if you're having a halloween party people will you don't need to pay too close attention um talk about uh you know trying to riff on somebody else's um uh, franchise the evil dead trap movies have nothing to do with evil dead but they they stole the name this is uh izo hashimoto's hideki evil dead trap 2 which is a sequel to a movie that ripped off somebody else's title for no clearly good reason anyway japanese serial killer stuff uh really gory pretty nasty not a lot of redeeming qualities to it but darn it some people really love these movies uh made in 1991 mm-hmm. i i guess if if this is your vibe but the japanese can really if it's not j horror it can get pretty nasty and uh, that one's nasty also from arrow two witches which isn't bad um, I'd never seen this before. And, uh, I think, you know, as far as which movie movies go, it's all right. Um, you know, directed, uh, by Pierre Tsar, Tsaridis. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, who also did his own, uh, cinematography as well. And it kind of shows, but I didn't, I didn't mind this. I mm-hmm. guess this is some kind of a, a cult film. And uh, I had never heard of it before, but it's got, you know, pretty good audio commentary on it uh, with Cigaritas. Cigaritas. And another. It's that silent produ- T. <laughs> oh, man. Another, <laughs> yeah, the w- the yeah. producer also does an audio commentary. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a witch movie. What do you want? Knock yourselves out. And then uh, from Mondo Macabro, three, three last ones here. The other side of the mirror is pretty good for a, a low budget, uh, a low budget film from 1974. Feels very much like 1974. Um, it's a Jess Franco film. You know, if, if you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all. Uh, Luis Madrid, another Spanish horror film. This one is from uh, 1971. It's called The Horrible Sexy Vampire. Mm. Is that not the best title of all time? Yeah, the bad. horrible sexy vampire. I love that. <laughs> That's a um, yeah, and, I, the, the, and then the last one um, is a uh, a Franco Spanish film from 1973. So France and Spain getting on the action together. Also very 1970s era. Love Brides of the Blood Mummy, and uh, as weird as that title sounds, that is exactly what the movie is about. It's about a blood mummy. And his love brides, <laughs> and it's uh, it's almost hilarious. Uh, not much of a script here, but it's you know, 
it, it has that 70s look to it as these all three of these films do mondo macabro all yeah. three of those uh i like the mondo macabro line very very much love brides the blood mummy the horrible sexy vampire and the other side of the mirror by jess franco all yeah. pretty fun uh shall we dive into the tv a little tv yeah uh i i watched a little bit of the mayor of kingstown um uh season one yeah uh, uh, i think you got that one over there if yep, i'm not sure mistaken do. uh so we got a girl we got you know jeremy renner and diane weist and uh and uh you know great 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 performances uh high high drama high drama um uh i don't i don't i don't know that i need to see a season two or season three of this stuff it's all pretty blue collary you know behind the scenes uh city of city of hope john sales made a movie called city of hope it's that kind of thing it takes you behind the scenes of all of that uh and uh, you know, it, it, as it, it dips into that whole cr- criminal element. Uh, did you get a chance to watch any of it? I did not watch any of it. Uh, I am a Jeremy Renner fan, but I just I can't I can't keep up with him. Uh, I what I did watch a little bit of was the uh, complete series of the Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele. Series, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, which, that, you know that, what? Just I it, I I think we talked about this previously. Anyway, this yeah. is out. It's a it's a boxed set of the complete series on DVD. It's got tons of special features. But we talked about previously. I would have rather they'd gone to Jordan Peele and instead of saying, "Could we use you to rebrand Twilight Zone?" If they had gone to him and said, "Could we do an anthology show? Like, what kind yeah. of anthology show do you want to do? Yeah. Why do we have to stick with the Twilight Zone brand?" Yeah, or or, or, or anything. In other words. He might have come up with something the equivalent of Black Mirror, yeah. Because Black Mirror is yeah. you know is its own thing, but it lives in that same space. So why, you know, uh, why yeah. go back to the well? You, you, you dig a new well. A couple of other complete series box sets here. I'll uh, make mention of uh, all 106 episodes of both Dexter series. Uh, I don't know why Dexter New Blood ever came out. Uh, mm. Showtime just needed needed more, I guess. I mean, if you were going to do that, why did it ever go away in the first place? I never yeah. understood that. Yeah. Um, anyway, box set. Uh, I'm not a big Dexter fan. I understand why people are. But, uh, you know, for Halloween, I guess, why not? Uh, fair enough. Melrose Place, oh, all yeah. seven seasons in a great big gigantic boxed set. And Tim, I actually sat down and I watched all seven seasons on. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't have to. I watched all seven seasons no. across the arc of the seven seasons. Yeah. No, <laughs> between I, I, 92 I and 99. Uh, Darren Starr, you know, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, who, who came in hot uh, and, 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 and went on with Sex in the City and, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff that he's been doing. But Darren Starr yeah. created this, came in hot, again, gave us a whole bunch of folks who, uh, you know, went on to do some really interesting things. Not all of them, but some of them did, but I certainly loved my Heather Locklear and, and, uh, and, and a whole lot of the folks that came out of this extremely yeah. sort of, this is, this is nighttime soap opera that was, you know, popular back in the day. I, I know over in the CW, they've got something like dynasty and a few of the other yeah. ones. I think, I think Grant show who was in this show, uh, is even in one of those shows, yep. uh, over there and Jack Wagner and whatnot. I don't know. Uh, this stuff was super duper popular back in the day. Spinoff from uh, what? 90210, I think. Or was it a spinoff or just it was just- it was kind of, it, 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 it semi semi spinoff, I, I, if I recall. <coughs> but I had forgotten that uh, Alyssa Milano was on this. Yeah. Alyssa Milano. And Lisa Renna was on this. I mean, you yeah. forget who's who's on it. Yeah. All these, all these guys, I like that. Lisa Renna and you got you had Rob Estes, a lot of Daffy Zuniga that just came through this show. Yeah. Uh, Br- Bridget did an episode of Melrose Place. Too. Really? Uh, yeah, she did. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Uh, Melrose Place. And then they tried to reboot it, but it didn't work. 
Yeah, well, we'll keeping anyway. with our earlier theme. Uh, Picard season two. Tell me what you think. I did not. I have not seen Picard season two yet. I know, okay. I know you're not. I know you're not a big fan of that. I, uh-huh. I, the, the first season I, I thought was disappointing, uh, and I really only enjoyed it because I was revisiting these characters and I liked. But, but the storyline I did not care for at all. I didn't care for the tone of it. It's I agree. Weird comical thing that would go on in it sometimes. Um, uh, and, and so anyway, but so uh, season two, you tell me. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I swore I wasn't going to watch this and then it came on Blu-ray and I'm like, all right, fine. Um, they bring back Q, mm-hmm. which I feel is like, um, a little bit of a desperation thing. Like, oh, first season didn't work. All right, let's go back to the well. What worked Q let's bring back Q. So it feels a little bit like that. And then, um, you know, throwing them back to into the past to Los Angeles in 2024. Okay, good choice, because that's post pandemic. So they don't have to, you know, it's just far enough in the future that they can. uh, They're a little bit of free reign, but it's still it still feels feels like a cheat. Um, But it's going back to the well and I'm and I'm still kind of trying to, you know, figure out what. I, I don't think they know where it wants to go. I think they, they want a show that's centered around Picard, but they can't sort of find their pace. They can't find their groove. They don't know what the show's brand is yet. And I think it's still searching for it. I am glad they abandoned what they were doing in the first season and they straight up abandoned it. I mean, you know, no more like of that dopey Romulan poly- oh, politics. Yeah, it was yeah. just insufferable. Um, but I'm not sure that what they've chosen to do here is much better. It's just different. Is it, is it, is it, is it standalone or, is, or, or are we working with some through line? Uh, that, no, you're that, still that working with there are some yeah. there. There's connective through lines. Um, nothing that I mean, you can I would almost say, look, if you start watching with season two, you're fine. I, I don't think you can. You, you need the, the first season to catch up. But I just. I just it. <sighs> I'm maybe a little more hopeful that they'll find their way, but I don't, I don't think they're there yet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. For me, it's a character thing. Look, I love my Star Trek characters. Yeah. Uh, all, all the way through. I love my Star Trek characters, whether or not they get the story right. Well, you know, yeah, that's up to I them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else on TV looks uh, worth. Uh, let's see over here. Did you, have you paid any attention to the Walker reboot? We talk about this all the time. The reboots of our eighties series. Again, a reboot that has almost nothing whatsoever to do with the shape and tone and timber of the Walker, Texas Rangers series, you know, uh, Chuck and and, and Barry. This, this is just not connected. Jared Pilecki uh, playing Walker. It's really a family drama. This show. Yeah, uh, it has to do with the ranch and the losing the ranch, and you know some things go down with inside the Texas Ranger stuff. But it's it's not so much about about uh, you know uh, just you know Walker roaming around out there uh, catching and finding bad guys uh, in extremely inappropriate law enforcement <laughs> behavior. You know, by the way, you can make that Walker Texas Ranger show literally today anymore. Almost every episode of that show features a moment of police yeah. brutality yeah. police something and a cop does something wrong usually walker yeah. <laughs> the, the cops can't do in almost every episode of that show so i understand yeah. why they couldn't remake that show but this is more of a family drama totally true it feels like and i got season one on blu-ray season two on dvd here um it feels like 
to me that it is it is uh, almost more inspired by Yellowstone and to some degree by uh, the Kentucky series, the title of which is escaping me right now, mm. uh, with Nick Searcy and uh, oh, uh, uh, Oliphant. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, I was going to the wrong one. I was going to, yeah. uh, I was going to Ozarks, but you're talking about the one in Kentucky. Yeah, uh, Timothy Oliphant, uh, which skip, skipping my mind right now, but it feels almost like it wants to do that more than the original Texas Walker Ranger. Now, what I always enjoyed about Walker Texas Ranger the original, the Chuck Norris, was that it was terrible. <laughs> I enjoyed that it was terrible. I don't need justified, the acting. To, justified. Yeah, justified. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Justified. It uh, feels more like it wants to do justified. I the, the joy of Walker, Texas Ranger is it was bad. Mm. And Chuck Norris can't act. And uh, that he was a loose cannon. And he did things you're not supposed to do. It was cathartic and cartoonish. <laughs> and um, it's very strange to say we're going to reboot that, but we're going to do away with all of that stuff. I mean, Conan O'Brien used to do used to do the funniest bit, the, 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 the pulling the lever shtick on his show with clips from Walker, Texas Ranger, which is hilarious. I mean, that's how just completely wild that show was. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, we've also got Sweet Tooth, the DC Sweet Tooth, uh, complete first season. On Blu-ray, uh, I don't understand where they're going with this DC stuff, Tim. I, I, oh. I truly don't. I, it, it's, it, it, it's like this is not DC. I don't understand where the DC branding works on this. The, yeah, the, I mean, if it is, I don't know it. And I was gonna, I was gonna ask you: Is this DC? Is this a DC? Uh, 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 yeah. Character and title that that exists in the DC universe that I just don't Apparently, happen to know about. Apparently it is, but it's not superhero related. It's 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 about this post-apocalyptic environment in which I can't even believe I'm saying this with a straight face. This post-apocalyptic environment in which children are born with animal characteristics and parts. They're like part human, part animal, like the the post-apocalyptic environment has somehow threaded the gene pool in this weird way. And um, it's just, you know, you've got this kid with antlers and he meets this guy named Jeopard um, and they go on a bit of a road trip. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's like courtship of Eddie's father meets. Uh, I don't know. It's mm. just I don't get it. I, I don't quite understand why somebody looked at this material and thought there's something here. I There's there's a there's a um, there's definitely an allegorical thing to this about outsiders and people who are different and you know we don't want people like no hybrids right you know we don't want hybrid people like you know okay we don't want you know mixed race people mm. i i understand all of that but i kind of feel like in the we don't maybe in 1960 mm. that would have been useful metaphor but i feel like today you know you you can you can talk about it you don't need to hide behind comic book metaphors anymore i it it, it almost feels anachronistic and i i just i don't really understand what they're going for but you know let's give it another season well maybe so i won't uh post-apocalyptic is one thing that i really don't need much more of to be honest with you at least if it's not connected to a universe that i'm already familiar with mad max or something like that yeah. um uh, uh but you know new post-apocalyptic isn't new 
your post-apocalyptic isn't any different than anybody else's no. post-apocalyptic. It's post-apocalyptic. You, there's a bunch of people walking in long coats uh, uh, in the past of rusted out uh, Volkswagen Beetles. And, and, and well, that's all that post-apocalyptic ever really is. You may not need more post-apocalyptic, but you know what you do need? You need more Superman TV. <laughs> more Superman? Yeah, you yeah, need well, Superman and Lois season two. I, I actually, I've been watching that series and I rather enjoyed it. When it first started, I didn't because I, I, I got confused by a thing that they were doing that I thought it had to do with Lex Luthor, a character called Le- Lex Luthor in that first season. And I thought, what? What's going on? Anyway, they sort all of that out. That's not like Lex Luthor. That's John Henry. And and once they sorted all of that out, um, it, thought it settled into something that I rather enjoyed watching. For one thing. It's not really all that much about Superman. It's about uh, Lois, mostly. And yeah. it's about those kids uh, uh, beyond that and some other kids in town. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, Superman comes in and does whatever he has to do when, when, when the big uh, threat happens. But mostly, we're hanging around in that series with Lois and those kids. And I think that that's yeah. a little bit more interesting for me. It's I mean, it, it's not a bad show. I'm surprised that it is actually able to continue to squeeze something out of this universe because we've had, mm. you know, uh, Lois and Clark and Smallville. And, you know, I mean, we've had so many Superman TV series by now that I, I was, you know, and, and all the other Arrowverse stuff with Supergirl and the Superman tie ins. And uh, it, mm. it's like, man, there's, there's, there's got to be fatigue setting in at a certain point. But I, you know, it, it does a reasonable job. So we'll see where it goes in future, mm. future seasons. Uh, Kung Fu, second season, the new Same Kung thing. Fu. Nothing to yep. do whatsoever with the no. David Carradine uh, no. uh, Kung Fu, although the original producers are the same. Uh, uh, nevertheless, once I separated myself from that and I just started paying attention to the show. This Which family, is about a girl. About a girl who, who who did in fact go away and, 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 and from from her San Francisco family and then little restaurant that they run in her family all that kind of stuff yeah. and, and and comes back and there's some mystical magical stuff going on uh, uh, in this show um, that you know there was no mystical magical stuff going on in the, in, in the other kung fu so if you let all of that slide this is what I enjoy about this show I enjoy the lead Olivia Liang yeah uh, she's, she's good wonderful she plays Nikki Shin she's just wonderful. Uh, and I can watch her doing just about anything. Um, uh, and, 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 and several of the other, you know, subtle characters at the top. Shannon Dang plays her, her sister and Eddie Liu who plays her boyfriend. I, I, I kind of enjoy all of these people. Uh, I don't pay too much attention to the storyline that's going on, but I can watch, I can watch Olivia just sort of roam around this show pretty much all day. She's cute and funny and sexy and she kicks ass. Uh, you know me, Wade. I don't need much more than that out of the lady. I, I hear you, and I do not disagree. Um, Time Life has a nice little box set here. Ed Sullivan's Rock and Roll Classics. No, oh. yeah, the Rock and Roll performances. I take. Uh, it's amazing stuff. Uh, this is <laughs> this is all the the great uh, performances from uh, from from Ed Sullivan's show, and I mean it's unbelievable. It's ten discs, uh, oh. and there are a hundred and twenty eight performances on here. And it blew my mind because a lot of them I didn't even realize uh, had ever been on the show, like uh, the Bee Gees. Bee Gees, Ed Sullivan. I never put those two together. I had no I idea. I don't know that I did either. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know that I did. I don't know that I knew the Supremes had ever been on the Ed yeah. Sullivan show. Stevie Wonder. Uh, uh, Buddy Holly I knew, but yeah. I'd forgotten how good it was. Um, you know, I, I knew about Gay. the animals. I didn't know about the association. Yeah. Um, um, I think I knew about the birds. I didn't know about Creedence Clearwater Revival. I didn't either. I didn't either. I didn't know about Janis Joplin. I didn't realize Janis Joplin. I didn't Joplin know Janis had been on there either. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Tom Not Jones. Not to mention the yes. comedians. Uh, you, you know, there's a lot of comedians, too, you know. And, and as much as I love Tom Jones, I love my Tom, who just performed here locally just a oh. couple of days ago. Um, he's waiting for a hip transplant, but he's got a cane on stage and he's letting it loose. And God <laughs> love him. He's over 80. And the man still just that voice is the same. Me, me and Tom both. But, <laughs> but yeah. But, yeah. you know, the thing that I remember, the, the thing that just sticks out with hit Tom's performance on this is that, you know, it's not unusual. To, and he's snapping the whole time. Yeah. Right. He's snapping and it's distracting and you want him to stop. You just want to go like whisper into the into the into his earpiece. You know, stop snapping. Stop snapping. <laughs> but there was live. It was live TV. I love it. It was live TV. And, you know, he's in his 20s. Cut the guy some slack. Anyway, Ed, Ed Sullivan's rock and roll classics. Amazing. Ten, ten DVDs. It's uh, it's just gold. That's just beautiful stuff. Hmm. Um, Let's talk a second. We're both basketball fans. No, oh, uh, winning, winning time. Winning time. Winning time. Winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. You, though. It's supposed to be weird for you, though. Having Dude, grown, so yeah, I mean, look, you know, I'm a basketball guy, but I grew up in St. Louis. I'm watching all this period uh, from the late 70s, middle 70s uh, through the 80s. From, you know, from there, at least until 1990. And this, and this certainly, you know, uh, overlaps into there. But you were here the whole damn time. That, that right down there, you know, that, that, that stadium, saw- these people. I went to games when I was a kid. I saw Norm Nixon play. I saw Jamal Wilkes play. Uh, I, I, you know, I saw Magic and Kareem play. I have seen Kobe and and Shaq play. I have, I've been here. I was here through this whole dynasty, right? But yeah. you know, I remember before and I remember the after. And this is, of course, you know, the basically the 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 rise of the dynasty, beginning with Jerry Buss buying the yeah. team. Yeah. And bringing in, you know, cream and magic and, and that then it's it's that moment. It's it's Jerry Buss. And I, I got to say, it's, you know, Adam McKay has taken a lot of liberties with this, which mm-hmm. pissed off a lot of people. Kareem hates the show. <laughs> magic hates the show. Yeah. Kareem and magic never got along on the well, team, they, but they, they worked Jerry, together. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry West probably had a few legitimate complaints. They make yes. him look insane on the they show. Make it, the, the person that they depict him as here is not Jerry West, not even by any remote stretch of anything. Jason Clark is not Jerry West. Um, some of the performances I'm fine with. Some of them, I'm like, that's not really getting it right. I think John C. Riley's Jerry Buss is hilarious and lascivious and unscrupulous and completely unhinged. And it's a brilliant performance. And it has nothing to do with the real Dr. Jerry Buss. Doctor, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I'm, his thing. I met Dr. Buss a bunch of times. He, Dr. Buss definitely liked the latest. Jerry definitely liked the latest. But Jerry was a perfectly rational human being. Yes. <laughs> you know, he, he was not. He, he was not. Uh, in the same way, you know, I, yeah, yeah, that's not that's not. I, I have a problem with the series for the same reason a little bit. Wait, it's because you know, I'm watching it and some of these people I've met, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I met Magic Johnson a bunch of times uh, yeah. in, 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 in the past 30 years. And and Quincy Isaiah there uh, with that smile, you know, he's pulling it off. Uh, oh, uh, he not, is. He's he's not as big as Magic. Magic is like a foot taller than this. This is yeah. this is a tall. This is this kid is probably six six. Magic's like six ten. Yeah, yeah uh, Magic Magic six nine. I think Magic six, was nine. six nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big yeah, guard, so. really big. And that's what made Magic so amazing was that he he was he was big enough to be a power forward, which he often could do. You know, a yes. smaller power forward, but he you know he had the heft and the height to play in the post. To play in the post. But but yet he had the the agility and the and the and the the vision and the skills to be a point guard and the yeah. speed. 
and it was, you know, magic is almost a freak in that way. He combined, you know, attributes that are not supposed to live in the same body, in the same brain. Don't forget he anchored, he anchored uh, the center when Kareem went down. I know. In 80, you like 84, 84. 84. He anchored the center. And what was wonderful about that, he started throwing sky hooks. (laughs) Baby sky hook. Baby sky hook. Little baby sky hooks. I'm like, come on, magic. Now now you're just being obnoxious. I remember the first interview when I remember I remember the first interview chick said tell us about the baby sky hook <laughs> well and then magic goes into the baby sky hook now so yeah I mean I don't want to spend too much more time on this because we'll we'll nerd out no but way. I mean forever. look uh, Quincy Isaiah does a great job performing someone who is still very much in our consciousness and in the public eye yeah and that and that cannot be easy so I give him all kinds of credit I think Salmon Hughes as as Kareem uh, a little less successful who's also still very much in our public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, he gives it, he gives it his best shot. And I think uh, he's really, you know, it, it's, it's almost a thankless job. So these guys are all pretty good. John C. Riley, again, we, you know, talked about is fine. I mean, Adrian Brody shows up and here's Field even shows up. Um, Adrian I, Brody does look like Pat Riley, though. I mean, that's just so weird. Because I guess where I'm looking at, because you have that with the dark I hair know. and that slick back. You because know, Pat wore those double breasted yeah. suits. Yeah, you know him and Chuck Daly, and uh, and I'm like, oh wow, that is so strange. <laughs> it is that's strange. Similar. It is strange. Adrian Brody showing up as as Arthur Miller in Blonde is even weirder. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it made me go. Arthur Miller does kind of look like Pat Riley, right? <laughs> like that's where I went because Adrian Brody plays them both. It's very, oh, yeah, it was put, put on the glasses. <laughs> no, it's, it's like maybe they should have gotten Pat Riley to play Arthur Miller. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, well, anyway, um, so, you know, I'll give it another season. I'll, I'll give I'll try to be fair to it. I have reservations, but I'll be fair to it. Yeah. Um, you know, let's talk about Bel Air. What the hell is going on with this show? Uh, yeah. yeah, let's remake the Fresh Prince, except take the comedy and Will Smith out. What's left? In 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 and there's no joy in this show. Um, and, and and though I think it intends to avoid stereotypes, what it does is waddle in stereotypes. It does. Um. Uh. And then of course all the wacky shit went down with Will anyway, which which yeah. through all things related to this. But I wasn't working for me before all of that. Yeah. Uh, because because yes. Uh, look, uh, not everything has to be a sitcom, but I think that what they're doing here is pushing drama sort of urban drama into this show where it yeah. doesn't where it doesn't belong this isn't necessary uh and uh and i don't know i just i, I feel bad you know because all these young all the you know you know jabari banks oh they'll and, be fine they'll, they'll, they'll be fine they'll be fine but this show yeah. is just not working for me man yeah i agree i agree uh mr mayor you know the most fascinating thing to be about mr mayor is uh that i looked at i was like ted danson has another series <laughs> is it like more series than 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 I, I than robert conrad it's incredible i'm like all right whatever um yeah so uh ted danson in um as mr mayor and of los angeles and i guess it works i mean a little bit only oh, saw one tina fey you know one of tina fey's things and holly hunter's in and holly hunter's always lovely yeah, yeah i love it and you know he's a quirky mayor but i, I swear to god this I, when I, the, the ones i saw i kept thinking to myself this seems like the 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 literally the premiere episode of Spin City, where where Barry yeah. um Barry uh what was his name, you know Barry, 
yeah. uh, who played the mayor in that. Michael J. Fox was the little, right. you know, little right. handler. They got, it's like this, this, like this is literally the same show. You know, it's like the little handler and then the, the goofy mayor and then, and, and, and then, you know, the, and the wacky staff that runs around them, Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. The wacky staff. I'm like, this is Spin City. Somebody, you know, if, if, you are, if Gary David, what's his name, were still alive, he could, he could literally sue these people for taking his show and just calling it the mayor. But it's, yeah, kind of true. I hadn't thought of that, but it is kind of true. Yeah. Well, in a, in a similar uh, in a similar vein is this show Rutherford Falls with Ed Helms and uh, Jenna Schmeeding, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, you know, I, I'd heard some chatter about Rutherford Falls. This is the thing. We live in an era now of such maximum TV. It's, it's hard to catch up on all this stuff. So I watched a couple of these. And um, this is, you know, small town Mr. Mayor comedy kind yeah. of. It's 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 a little bit of the. Uh, of the same kind of thing, but um, over there on know, Peacock, um, you know, which is where it belongs over there. On yeah. Peacock. And, and, <laughs> you know, I couldn't help because there's a, there's a, there's a casino angle to this at a certain point. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, Oh, this is like Ozark without murder, but jokes. <laughs> That's what I started thinking. I'm like, Oh, if I took Ozark and I took out the murder and the drugs and the debauchery and the sex and the cartels and, and, and the murder <laughs> and the murder. And I replaced it with some jokes. I'd have Rutherford Falls. Kind of. Uh, anyway. I always find that Helm. It's funny. He's one of the creators on the show too. So I'm yeah, you know, yeah. happy about that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Uh, the neighborhood season four. Um, gosh, the entertainer. It. Uh, you know, yeah, he's another one coming up on about his fifth or sixth series. Uh, uh, all of uh, all of which he plays the same guy. Uh, I know a, a grumpy, a, a grumpy, <laughs> angry, bad neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> no matter who's next door. In this case, it's Max Green or whoever. It's just, and, and it's really really funny. They, there, there is there is there's one episode though where they play this storyline where I, I guess they do some sort of uh, one of those Dr. Lewis Henry Gates uh, genealogy things. Yeah. And, and and they find out that they're like related, like blood related in history. Yeah. So I gotta the guy next I gotta tell you that episode was absolutely hysterical. Because <laughs> Cedric was just he was just apoplectic. He just he just he, and, and Max was like, "Yo, Cuzzo!" <laughs> so you know, C- Cedric is is uh, an unbelievably gifted guy. There, th- he's what makes this would not work without him. Yeah. At all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple of season, other season ones here. Uh, Hacks and that Ooh. dirty black bag from uh, AMC Plus. Now, let's talk about AMC uh, Plus. This is uh, AMC trying to make the streaming pivot. They are pretending that this is a spaghetti Western. They even mm. put a uh, a pull quote on the cover of this. I don't know why they say that other than the fact that it's just kind of a nasty, dirty, conspiratorial Western that it, it, it deals in some of the same themes, but it's not really a spaghetti Western. It's, it's basically more like Deadwood, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it doesn't quite work for me. It almost feels like it's, uh, it's, it almost feels like it's trying too hard, which I thought Deadwood was too, but Deadwood had style. Uh, yeah. This, well, this looks cheap as fuck. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, this, this, it does. This, this, it looks it looks like uh you know uh, these western sets and whatnot. Um, but they look like western sets, <laughs> and and yeah. and I don't yeah. think they're supposed to. I think I think it's it's supposed to be dramatic. And you know, Dominic Cooper is actually pretty good at it. But 
uh, just even, even the costumes look like they just came from the rack. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I'm like, this is a really cheap looking the, show. And, and, and what would have made it look better if everything just looked worse? It's, it's, it's it just bring it all me, down a notch. It tells me that AMC Plus doesn't have the audience to justify Spending more is what it tells me. Um, on the other hand, Hacks, which stars Gene Smart, who is just ageless and uh, actually had the and courage you, to. You, you're ubiquitous. She's another one. She's been on television since what? The early 80s, late 70s? Look, she was in that senior citizen movie with William Shatner at 90, and they had a bed scene together. <laughs> she got into bed with William Shatner and and mixed it up, and the woman deserves an Emmy or something just for that. Um Great. Anyway, no, here she's um, she plays this, you know, she plays a famous Vegas uh, performer and um, uh, working in kind of, you know, maintaining her career and, and getting dealing with this young writer. And, you know, uh, it, it's a it's an interesting character study. It needs a really good actress in the middle of it. And they have it. And uh, I don't know where it's going to go, per se. Uh, it feels like it's still trying kind of trying to find its voice a little bit. But uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of on to something. And Jean Smart is such a good actress and so interesting and makes such interesting choices. I'm willing to stick with it. I'm willing well, to stick with her for a bit. Certainly that first season, I appreciate it. You know, Hannah, uh, what is her name? Inbinder. Um, um, yeah. Uh, pl- pl- plays this, the, you know, the young, the young, the young writer uh, who, who, who stumbles into this job that she doesn't really want. And they don't get along and all of that's going on. And that's all fine. It particularly played between two women. I like that. Usually this would be yeah. guys, right? Uh, you know, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Ago, so, uh, so that's, that's good. And she holds her own, uh, uh, with this, with this old veteran, but I like that the old veteran, uh, 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 she doesn't, she doesn't give an inch either. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where it's not, it's not about the, this new young gen gal is going to come up and teach the old lady what to do, but it's also not about this old lady just beating down this, this, this Gen X or millennium or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. Uh, either they find that middle ground, uh, where, where they can both be actual people and then they start to get along by the time you get to the end of that. Now, my question is, then what's the next season? The second season is already out there. I haven't watched the second season. What season is, is, are we looking at here? Season one? Uh, for, 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 uh, for hacks. Yeah. For hacks. What's season season one? Season Season one. one. So season two is out there now. I haven't watched any of season two. Uh, and I'm, I'm, but I'm going to, cause I'm wondering where do you go? You know, after they find the equilibrium, that's what season one is all about. Once they find the equilibrium, then what's the show about? So I'm going to watch season two. That's what I'm wondering too. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind I don't want to call it a backstage drama. It's sort it's almost more like a, the, I don't know the private life of the talent drama, but, but yeah, once, once you, once you sort of sort that out, because if you don't sort that out, you're going to be like into, into the problem of billions, which is mm. how many episodes can you squeeze out between two guys, you know, who are basically just having a rivalry. I mean, that, that, that could, that has to go somewhere. Yeah. And eventually they wind up putting a new rival in, right. You know, or swapping out one of the, one of the, the guys. So anyway, um, also season one, yellow jackets on Showtime. Uh, which I had heard a little bit about. Uh, I probably should have watched more because it's, uh, you know, about a girl's soccer team. It's not a girl's soccer team playing soccer. It's about a girl's soccer team in a plane crash and uh, trying to survive. And um, uh, that I thought was very interesting. And it is, it's done very well. 
Uh, they got a real budget here and um, it, uh, you know, the soccer aspect of it doesn't really come into play, mm-hmm. frankly, but it, it's sort of uh, as a, um, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say Lord of the Flies, but as a... Uh, oh, what you know, was that movie about the soccer team, Alive? Was that it? Oh, yeah, Alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. It lives in that space. Yeah, it does. Nobody, nobody eats anybody, but but it lives in that space. It's it's incredibly well acted, and and they've they've found some unbelievably talented actresses uh, to be in this. Uh, and, and Melanie Linsky, who Melanie Linsky, who's always yeah. good, and it's great yeah, to see her just not be quirky for a change. Yeah, yeah. You know, Heavenly Creatures, man. That was a long time ago. She, uh, Heavenly Creatures, right? Her and um, Christina Ricci's in this too. No, uh, yeah. Melanie Linsky. No, no. no uh, which, which one was she in? <sighs> well, Melanie two and a half in, men. She was in. She was in a. She was in one of those movies way back in the day uh, that made her career. Heavenly Creatures. Yeah, she played. She played. She 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 played. Uh, she's the other girl. You know, Kate Winslet. Uh, no, is, no. The the other one was was no. That wasn't Melanie Linsky. That's a, yeah. Uh, that's Melanie Linsky, dude. In Heavenly Creatures, that's Melanie opposite Kate Winslet. In in Heavenly Creatures is Melanie Linsky. People forget that that she that's that girl. And before one thing, she was kind of she, she put she put on a few pounds. Uh, or in those ensuing in those ensuing years, uh, but people forget wow. that that was Melanie Linsky in Heavenly Creatures. Well, we got Christina Ricci pre uh, Wednesday here too. Uh, oh yes, they're they're the names in this thing. But uh, some of these other actresses are really really good. I mean, like uh, Tawny Cypress, I'd never oh, heard yeah. of before. She's yeah. she's absolutely terrific. Um, yeah. So and Juliet Lewis is in there too. Those. Yeah, Juliet down there. I forgot yeah. about her. She is. Yeah, she's also in. Yeah. Uh, so let's just let's start to wrap out some of this stuff. Um, uh, I also want to make mention for uh, from Shout Factory. We've got for people who just cannot get enough of their Ultraman and affiliated <laughs> Japanese stuff. There is Cayman Rider Kuga. K-U-U-G-A. Sounds yeah. like Cougar, but it's not. Um, this is basically um, if Ultraman rode a motorcycle. There you go. <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. Uh, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it like, <coughs> it's like all those shows. It's, it's all about the costume and the, and the fighting and it's very, very silly, but um, it's still relatively fun. It just lives in that same space. So uh, if if you, if you like the series, if you're even remotely curious, Cayman Rider Kuga complete series. Uh, and then let's uh, wrap out with one more here. Um, how about the, let's see, season two of Wife Swap. Why not, Tim? <laughs> uh, what, season, why does this show exist? I, look, I, uh, season two of Wife Swap, you said. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, there, I, I, season one of Wife Swap. So basically, I, I suppose the idea, you know, these families in different places, they go, you swap your wives and, and they, you take on my family. Who would and do I this? Why do people do, do this? this and why? I don't even what the notion is uh, behind uh, any of this stuff. And I don't know. Yeah. And there's something so slightly lurid about it all, too. It's so lurid. I, it's just, I mean, the, the stuff that people will do for money, it just depresses me. It really does. I mean, it's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to the families. It's just not fair to anybody. It's just, you know, it's it's like what we used to do to a friend of mine when we we'd sit at restaurants like, I'll go give you a quarter for every 10 seconds that you can keep uh, ketchup and hot sauce in your mouth. You know, it's like those kinds of games, like yeah. seeing how, how how greedy can a person be that I can torture them and they'll yeah. put up with it. Yeah, it's, I don't understand. But anyway, there it is. All right. 
Uh, thanks, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic Halloween. We might be back before Halloween, but if we are, it'll be just before Halloween. Mm. So hopefully you know what, get- Wade, I, yes. I noticed we didn't do any obits. We didn't. I know. Which is, I guess there aren't any. I mean, no. I mean, immediate obits. Coolio died. Of, uh, 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 yeah. How long ago was that? Uh, uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, so I guess yeah. you, you, but Coolio, uh, yeah, lost Coolio, and and uh, Nikki Fink died. We should. Oh, should Nikki make, Fink deadline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess we should mention Nikki Evil. Bitch I mean, she means she probably was. nothing to anybody who's listening. That's very oh, inside Nikki Hollywood. Fink, thing. Nikki, yeah, very inside. She cussed me out twice. No, I did not have it coming. Uh, but, but but that was the nature of Nikki Fink. That said, yeah. Nikki built. Uh, out of a column, that deadline column was in what, LA, LA Weekly or was it in the well, view? No, she something? built it herself. She built it herself. It was it was its own thing. And it became, you know, very much a uh, an Internet presence. And then it, yep. and then Variety went and paid her an outrageous amount of money to just run away and retire and let them exploit the deadline brand. But they've done a very good job with it. Is it better than when she ran it? No, it's just different. It's a little more professional, but less well proofread. But um, nonetheless, you know, not as mean. Not as mean. Oh, she was mean. She was uh, mean. But you know, she was a throwback. She was a throwback to head a hopper and Heather, yeah, yeah, that yeah. that that you know that style. But yeah, yeah. So, no, 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 so I guess we did right. do the obits. <laughs> we just there we did. The All right. All right, everybody. Have a great Halloween. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.